You're listening to Program to Chill, a show about business, crime, parapolitics, and esoterica with your host, Jimmy Fallon Gong. <laughs> cool. All right. I'm joined by Philip Fairbanks, who is a journalist and author of the book Pedogate Primer, The Politics of Pedophilia. I think the first time I had heard of you, actually, I was listening to the Ed Opperman show. I think I heard your the uh, the ad for your book, I think. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I read the book and I found it to be a excellent survey of the major scandals involving pedophilia. And I would say that it's probably it functions both as a good introduction for someone who maybe doesn't know a lot of the stuff. And I also found it very, very interesting because there, I like, I, I think I knew about most of the things you were talking about, but I kept finding these like nuggets, these like crazy facts that were, you had <laughs> written into the book that I would call like extremely salient points. And mm. they would just lead me to just be like, whoa. And whenever, <laughs> whenever I find myself doing that, I'm like, Okay, I know I'm having a good time. So I would recommend <laughs> the book to all of my listeners. So what led you to write this book? Well, you know, um, I, I think I think probably the two main elements at play there are uh you know, I can't I came of age in you know the early 90s. Uh there was a lot of like the JFK fever going on uh with the 30th anniversary in 93 of the assassination. Uh, then, then by my teens, you know, I learned about MK Ultra. I was already interested in all kinds of CIA shenanigans, and you know, familiar with Gary Webb and stuff like that. Uh, then learn about you know MK Ultra and mind control and this kind of thing. And uh, uh, from the other side of that is just knowing a lot of victims because it's it's not a fun topic. It's not a topic mm-hmm. that people want to think about. But it, you know, I guarantee everybody knows somebody who was uh, sexually harassed, assaulted, or abused. Everybody knows somebody who was, uh, who was harassed, abused, or assaulted, often as a kid, often multiple times. Now, whether, whether you know that those persons you know, uh, you know they, they may not have told anybody ever in their life. And, you know, I, I've heard from multiple people, you know, had people tell me that, like, I'm the only person or the first person they <clears throat> told. And... So, you know, when, when you've, when you know, like firsthand, you know, like, you know, people you love and care about and you hear their stories, it's, it's impossible to like ignore the issue from then on. And, um, and like I said, with the, the uh, MK Ultra was one of my big entry points to this whole thing. That was when everything changed. And I'm like, okay, this, this is probably what I'm going to be spending the rest of my life studying. Uh, and you know the the whole story of MK Ultra is is a story of abuse and in many cases child abuse. You know uh, uh, that's one thing uh, also about the book. Um, you know it it primarily covers uh, you know sexual abuse and institutional abuse, uh, uh, elite pedophilia, this kind of thing. But you know I, I I think that it's equally awful the kinds of you know child abuse that went on uh during mk ultra there's there's lots of different ways to abuse a child and they're all wrong in short Mm -hmm. yeah no i mean i hear what you're saying and like i always i wouldn't say find it funny but like certain like 
there's sort of like a popular narrative about MK Ultra that it was like mm-hmm. you CIA messing around with LSD and things got a little out of control. Some people got dosed who probably shouldn't have, and maybe a guy got thrown out the window out of a window, and that's about it. But yeah, like, and, then, and then there were some culture makers, and then there was mm-hmm. a there was the Unabomber, and you know all that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but like, it was mostly a failure. Yeah, yeah, and it was a failure. But then you start to realize, <clears throat> excuse me, you start to realize that like they were studying the effects of trauma. They were studying mm-hmm. the effects of trauma on children, and all of a yep. sudden, MK Ultra and you know pedophilia hand in hand, like. Yeah, really, it takes it's a really dark, you know, look. And one thing that your book does, I is go there, and you know, I find that very commendable. So, thanks. Yeah, you know, uh, I, 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 I'm glad that uh, I think this is one thing that the book does well. Um, you know, one thing it doesn't do well, by the way, is 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 grammar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do need to I do need to before the end of the year, uh, you know, what I'm what I'm trying to do is I'm going to have to listen to the audiobook version. This is why I've been putting this off for months, by the way, because I <laughs> I, I don't want to listen to myself for six hours. Read this book while reading the book. If you've ever done that proof in <laughs> audiobook, it's one of the worst things in the world. Uh, you know, it's worse than transcribing. I hate transcribing, but it's like dual transcribing. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, there's, there's some grammar errors and, uh, uh, stuff that I'm going to fix. But one thing I think it does really well is it, it, it appeals to folks like you and, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Ed Opperman, uh, William Ramsey, a lot of the folks who are really up on these topics, you know, and I, yeah. I love that in each case, there's always at least one little bit somewhere in the book that even folks who've spent like decades studying this are like, whoa, and I didn't know that, though. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, 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 I love that it can appeal to people who are just, you know, have maybe they're a skeptic. Maybe they don't know anything about this, <clears> you know, um, uh, but it can appeal to somebody who's not familiar with it because it is it's a it's it's a quick uh, overview and survey of multiple different topics. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, that, that I, am glad I was able to straddle that, you know, that, that tightrope walk there because, uh, you know, it, it I don't know, it, it really means something to me that, uh, you know, folks that have, you know, spent a lot of time studying, I, I feel like I'm adding something to the oeuvre rather than just, you know, uh, copy pasting together, uh, you know, what, what, uh, better researchers before me have uh, uh have put together themselves which is a lot of what the book is by the way uh but yeah I, I think in a couple of spots i was able to like add something that was new uh to many people so that's that that's that's a total win uh in my opinion yeah i absolutely think that's the case and i was gonna say because i know you shouted out uh dave mcgowan is the title mm-hmm. inspired by absolutely to kill? yes yeah <laughs> uh because uh program to kill the politics of serial uh murder which which i believe i, I you know i i have no way of proving this but i have a feeling that uh mcgowan also probably read mccoy's politics of heroin and he uh, also makes a reference to the Everleys who are involved in the False Memory Syndrome Foundation mm. and uh, their politics of child abuse. So it is it is absolutely kind of a, 
uh, I don't know. I don't know if you call that uh, sort of like a, you know, uh, a nod for those who are familiar. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they'll get that at, uh, at first glance. And then for those who are not in the know, well, hopefully eventually you discover McGowan. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see. Um, I was thinking that uh, since I think we have, I have listeners who are probably in both camps. Like I probably have some listeners who could, you know, read the book and be introduced to every single topic. And I probably have mm-hmm. some listeners who, you know, maybe they're like, okay, I already know <clears throat> like the finders and Epstein, you know, what else is there? So I right. was thinking maybe we could go through some of the nuggets that I found to blow my mind. And Absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah. So, and then maybe we can just talk about them because I think that'd be fun. Sounds great. All right. So I recently did an episode on J.M. Barry and Lewis Carroll. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was reading your chapter and I was like, oh, this is, I don't even know if I would have done the episode if I had read the book first, but, <laughs> or maybe, I don't know, but like, I found a couple of things that I had missed about J.M. Barry. Like, mm-hmm. You you pointed out that J.M. Barry, and for those who might not know, that's the uh, pen name of the guy who uh, wrote Peter Pan, right? Classic right. child style. And you cited or you found that J.M. Barry was actually a huge enthusiast of mesmerism. Mm-hmm. I think that's from the Piers Dudgeon book, mm-hmm. uh, which which apparently that book. Uh, not everybody likes that book in, in the academic world. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, there's a bit of controversy. There's some, uh, people who, uh, don't like the way it paints Barry. Uh, uh, and, and I do believe he was probably more of an innocent character than, uh, you know, Charles Dodgson, better known as Lewis Carroll. Uh, but they were both absolutely, you know, obvious pedophiles with, very creepy obsessions with specific children uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean like okay so i think you mentioned it as well but like he changed the will of the oh yeah how creepy is that and and they say it's an accident that uh that he misread it and accidentally the the children were supposed to be in the hands of uh you know like some like a maid or someone who worked for him and then he transcribes it and puts it puts the children in his own name. And then nobody questions that. And then these children who he's obs- who's he's been obsessing over are now in his in his care. Uh, I always I also had to, you know, and I'm not saying he did anything, but I do find it interesting that D.H. Lawrence, you know, a contemporary of his, uh, that that line gives, you know, gives me chills uh, how uh, Jay and Barry has a peculiar touch on those he loves they die you know and that's you know that's pretty creepy that that he like that's what he was known for like you know he would get close to people and then bad things would happen to them and then he'd get closer to certain of the loved ones that he's obsessing over and uh yeah i'm i definitely am not saying he's some spingali type though once again the fact that one of the families is the guy that wrote spingali it just does make you wonder you know literally the guy that wrote spingali you know no seriously like that like when i found out like both that line from dh lawrence and the mesmerism thing yeah i was already thinking jm barry okay did he like like 
<laughs> he, he clearly like maneuvered his way into this family but i'm like yeah did he kill ab- absolutely like, i yeah I, I i i would not go that far i'm i uh i i even even when you know uh like especially when i'm writing but even you know uh on 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 podcast interviews and things i try you know i generally don't take uh an opinion on something when there's not enough evidence to really you know i i would not be surprised if it turned out that was the case but at the same time i don't think we have enough evidence to really uh that circumstantial evidence is circumstantial evidence and and it's definitely uh you know uh, a kind of a creepy connection there. Um, you know, like I said, the, the uh, accidentally transcribing his own name to put these children into his care and, and you know, the, the Svengali connection, uh, you know, yeah. his interest in hypnotism. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's definitely uh, enough to give one pause at least. I, yeah, I agree. There's no proof. But then there's also the fact that like, okay, the kids of all the children that he raised basically like the one that said he didn't he like he didn't touch any of them was the youngest one not the one of the children that he would have presumably been obsessing over the most right exactly Mm -hmm. and then on top of that i mean i'm saying for the listeners like half of those children ended up dead at a very early age Mm -hmm. that's the other thing yeah like one that probably killed himself, the other died in World War One. Like yep. just unresolved questions there. And then I really liked how you went in and found stuff, not just in the little white bird, which was the obvious one that I found, but you also yeah. found stuff in Peter Pan, the story. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which apparently uh, there were uh, elements from from the little white bird and and other stuff where in some cases. Like apparently in the early drafts or whatever, he doesn't even change names. So mm-hmm. we know that like the captain is J.M. Barry, and you know uh, it's uh, you know w- when you look at the Peter Pan story, you know uh, it's it's a classic children's tale. It's meant to be very innocent. I do believe it was meant to be an innocent tale. I believe the same mm-hmm. thing about uh you know the uh, alice's adventures in, in in wonderland and through the looking glass i loved those stories as a kid the the uh alice's adventures were some of my favorites i you know i'm interested in surrealism and stuff so i loved the you know uh dry humor and and, and word games and whatnot um but you know uh i as i was saying you don't have to physically sexually abuse a child to abuse a child and i think mm-hmm. that just the the creepy obsession bearing down on these kids somewhere even if they didn't know on you know uh on some level i think i think they probably got a feeling that something wasn't right um and uh you know i i do believe that it was it's it's uh it's it's kind of selfish it's selfish on the part of of uh barry and carol to you know have have used these kids in the way that they did but but at the same time, I think these stories themselves, you know, I understand why they're timeless classics or whatever. Uh, I, I do also, though, understand why terms like Wonderland and Neverland continually keep showing up in the underground, uh, you know, pedophile and, and child pornography world. You know, I completely get both sides like where, where yes, these are these could be just innocent uh, children's stories and it's understandable that they're classics but i also get why be, mainly because of you know the people themselves 
uh, you know, in, in their own uh, issues. You can, you can like, yeah, they can be both classics and also yeah, yeah. from diseased people for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's understandable that, you know, you can read them on this innocent level, but then at the same token, uh, like I said, you know, uh, whether it's uh, Nabokov, who also comes up in that first chapter, uh, you know, Nabokov and Lolita, uh, uh, Barry and Peter Pan, Neverland and Lewis Carroll and Wonderland and Alice. It's it, you know, there's definitely ties between those uh, iconic images and there's an innocent version of them. And then there's a version that's been co-opted by, uh, you know, the community of pedophiles, literally. Yeah. And like what also blew me away was you found that J.M. Barry had actually also been an enthusiast of photographing children. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Victorian era was weird. Um, <laughs> you know, everybody's got this idea of this repressed sexless time. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just now uh, getting interested in, uh, you know, I discovered Jeffrey Masson who, uh, you know, worked at the Freud archives and knew Anna mm-hmm. Freud and mm-hmm. got to see. Did you know that, like, the majority of the Freud archives are like the Kennedy files? Like, no one's seen them and no one's allowed to see them for decades? Like, what is up with that now? Anyways, I'll tell you, <laughs> Jeffrey Masson, who worked at the Freud archives, thinks that part of it is because of the seduction theory. Freud's abandoned seduction theory might have been abandoned um, and I don't, I don't want to put any words in Dr. Masson's mouth, but uh, from, from what little I've seen, it's not a far cry to say that Freud realized at one point, oh, wait, my wealthy clients who are paying for me to help their screwed up kids because they were raped by their wealthy parents don't want me to uncover the memories of the abuse. Mm-hmm. They just want them to shut up and stop rocking in the corner. We, you know, I'm tired of them being in the attic. They're supposed to come out for their blah, blah, blah on this fancy dinner, you know? So yeah. uh, I, I, I think that there was in, in you know, this is something uh, there's 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 uh, quite a bit of writing, uh, you know, academic writing on that. Um, you know, it's it's a weird uh, balance between what what the Victorian era appears to be and this fetishization of innocence. Uh which I think, oddly enough, led to children being sexualized, you know, like uh, the, the, the point of uh, nude photography of children in the Victorian era. I think it was meant to be about, you know, this asexual, innocent thing. But I think that also because of the effed up repression of the era, it ended up feeding into this like subconscious pedophilia that, that we know was going on with with some of the. Uh, upper crust and upper class at the time uh you know that's that's not at all a secret you know uh oscar wilde you know i mentioned oscar wilde in there you know uh one thing i didn't mention that uh that i learned later i think it was uh andre jed or it was another french author uh uh at the time uh you know wilde and this guy were in northern africa uh, Al- uh, Algeria or Morocco, I think, which both were also haunted by Burroughs when he was similarly on the prowl for uh, young boys. He also mentions uh, Mexico at one point where he predates on young boys. Um, so, you know, there were there were a lot of, you know, uh, uh, literary figures and artistic figures and uh, and upper class folks who were definitely involved in child abuse uh, during the Victorian era. And I think it was probably easier to hide it 
because you weren't supposed to talk about sex. And, and, and on top of that, it being the era of children are to be seen and not heard. So, you know, you, you don't talk about sex. Nobody does. So even if you were adult and saw something or, or you know, uh, had a feeling something was going wrong, you, you wouldn't bring it up if it's about sex and children, because that's that's too delicate a topic. That's, you know, the sensibilities of the time. And and I, and I do believe that in that way, like I said, the fetishization of the innocence and uh, repression and all these things that created a perfect storm uh, where there was a lot going on just below the surface of of the Victorian era. Yeah, no, I really want to read that book uh, about <laughs> Freud's, uh, I guess you could say, 180. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what's interesting, actually, because I used to be like a Nabokov super fan when I was a lot mm-hmm. younger. He actually, I, I don't know if you know or not, but like he was a like militantly against psychiatry. And really? It makes me wonder. I didn't know that whether he wow. maybe was privy to some knowledge, some ar- aristocratic knowledge that maybe well, the his, rest of his us brother, don't have. His brother, Nicholas Nabokov, was a member of the uh, uh, the CCF. Mm-hmm. So there's a CIA tie right there. So yeah, I, I would I would say he might have heard things. Yeah. For the uh, listeners, what is uh, what was that organization? Oh, the, the Congress for Cultural Freedom. Um, and uh, uh, speaking of books to read, Francis Stoner Saunders's Cultural Cold War. Uh, that's another one of those, just like MK Ultra, that the debunkers l- love to hate. Have you noticed that? <laughs> no, no, I like, I like modern art and literature. I do too. That doesn't mean that Burroughs and Ginsburg weren't pushing pedophilia and, uh, you know, all, all your major art galleries and, and critics uh, were propped up by CIA money. I'm sorry. I hate that. I hate that the Kenyan Revu- Review would have gone down the flusher if not for CIA <laughs> money. That really sucks. I hate that the Paris Review was literally the CIA's book report. You know, <laughs> literally like this week on CIA's book report. No, that's that's what the Paris Review was. It was nothing other than, you know, uh, a bunch of OSS fan lit fanboys, uh, you know, playing psyops games with the culture. It's almost as if no one wants to talk about the reality that soft power exists, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I do believe, like, when people talk about uh, MKUltra, stuff like the uh, Operation Midnight Climax, oh, wow, you know, that's, oh, wow, they, they you know, had Kentuckians in a bordello and dosed them on acid for seven days. That's, that's a crazy story. And I think some of those stories that they, they do, they do an excellent job of distra- distracting from stuff like Mockingbird, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that even when the church commission, uh, uh, you know, exposed some of this, you know, the, um, you know, it turned out that the church committee even uh, tried to protect some of the CIA affiliated journalists uh, from embarrassment. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, what a lot of people look at is, you know, this this crazy stuff about LSD and, you know, whatever. And they forget that I think MKUltra was more of a uh, cultural engineering operation. That's why they were involved in cybernetics. That's why they were involved in anthropology and the human ecology fund. It wasn't all about, you know, let's you know, it, it was about radiation and uh, uh, the 
some of the same kind of frequencies that our cell phone towers operate on were the same kind of frequencies that Dr. Jose Delgado was like, hey, look, we can make the monkey more uh, lethargic with this one. And this one, he becomes <laughs> agitated. And now that's what our cell phone towers do for us monkeys. But yeah, you know, I, I think that a lot of the, you know, uh, what's focused on in, in MK Ultra lore is, is, you know, it's interesting stuff, but a lot of it's a distraction. Yeah, no, I completely agree. <clears throat> uh, I was going to ask you, so I, in the book, you cited that part of Lewis Carroll's diary mm. pages ripped out around yeah. when he made the break with the, uh, what was it? The, oh, the Liddell well, family. That's yeah. right. And so that just makes me, th- you know, think of all kinds of things. But then right. his like pretty large collection of photographs what do you make of the fact that 60% of them went missing? Well, yeah, uh, I think I think that the same as with the, with the missing pages of the diary, either Dodge Center himself, uh, Lewis Carroll, or a relative made sure that they disappeared because they feared, rightly so, that history would take an interest, as they rightly have. Because at the time of his death, there were, there were some minor rumors, apparently, like one of the stories was uh, he was perving on a maid at, at the home, that it wasn't the, the, the young girls, that that wasn't the problem. Um, uh, you know, he, uh, at, there was uh, at one point I ran across somebody saying something along the lines of how, oh, you know, he seems so innocent, but really he's he's an old lech. He's a goat. Uh, so I definitely think that there was a big difference between him and, say, Jay and Barry, who. I, I do believe he may have been somewhat sexless, uh, mm-hmm. uh, probably because he, he was a, a Victorian gentleman who couldn't come to terms with the fact that he was a pederast, that he had uh, sexual longing for uh, little boys. And he didn't even allow himself to realize that, uh, to act on it. But once again, like I said, just, just the obsession itself. Uh, I think was probably harmful to the kids who were the object of that obsession, especially uh, like you pointed out, the, the, the older ones, uh, the ones that were, uh, uh, you know, the, I think it was George. Uh, there were two in particular that he mm-hmm. had an especially unhealthy relationship with. No, it's interesting. Like uh, you specifically also cited uh, that finding by the BBC, uh, mm-hmm. the specific photo at, in the Lewis Carroll collection that I guess didn't get, you know, disappeared. And I tried to figure out what the, what the photo was, but I couldn't exactly figure out what the photo, like, what was it just uh, more explicit than average? I, it was, uh, I'm thinking that it was either like um, not just genitals on display, but as, as the center, the theme of the picture, something, something along those lines, Hmm. because just plain uh, nude, child photography in the victorian era is not at all uncommon yeah. uh so so for for it to have been something that that you know caught people's eye then it would have had to have been something more explicit in some way uh and, and you know i don't really want to speculate on exactly how yeah. but you know i would guess something something to do with either the focus uh, uh of the uh, of the photograph or or it was just displayed more obviously erotically uh, rather than just, you know, because uh, because I think the, the the purpose of that photography, once again, it was uh, 
uh, it was a fetishization of the of the innocence of of young children. Um, so this one maybe maybe didn't appear to be so innocent in some way. I don't know though. Hmm. When I was doing my, you know, episode on Lewis Carroll, I read a whole bunch of academics who were, you know, both criticizing and defending him. Mm-hmm. And I found something very curious. All of the critics defending Lewis Carroll were men and <laughs> they kept lying. They would just say things that were not based in fact. And the women oh, wow. were all like, for the most part, you know, they weren't necessarily like, uh, you know, super militant, but they were just like, yeah, he was probably a pedophile. And they right, yeah. all told like the truth with regards to like the facts around the Lidl family and like yeah. a bunch of other stuff. So I found that to be really interesting. That is, yeah, that's not uh yeah uh and 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 once again i you know uh it's kind of like the deal with the prostasia foundation noah berlatsky you Mm -hmm. know i i don't think i don't think it does anybody any favors to to scream you know pedophile 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 when someone's being a pedophile apologist necessarily but it does kind of you know um, if you were making a short list, if you were going to do some uh, federal government style profiling, then, uh, you know, that would be probably one of the things that you might go through is like, you know, who who spends a lot of time uh, talking about age of consent laws and defending pedophiles? OK, putting them on the list, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like for like <laughs> it's not like that subtle, like most people are not that subtle. People generally talk about what their concerns and interests mm-hmm. are. Exactly. Yeah. And so you mentioned Oscar Wilde, and one thing that I really liked about your Oscar Wilde section was linking it to the Cleveland Street scandal, which I completely missed. I did not know that there was a connection. And so maybe just in, in brief, what was the Cleveland Street scandal? And I guess maybe also what was uh the scandal surrounding Oscar Wilde in general right yeah well um the Cleveland Street scandal um it it's it was almost forgotten to history uh it occurs in the 1890s uh it's it doesn't surface until the 1970s like eight decades later I guess Mm -hmm. um and uh it, it involves a you know I, I find it so strikingly similar to the Franklin scandal. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, there were courier cour- courier boys, telegraph boys, messenger boys, which, uh, you know, uh, I, I believe that in the Franklin scandal, uh, some of those boys were used uh, as covert messengers, um, as drug mules, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't doubt that that there's a sort of prototype that's that we that we've seen with the Epstein case that we saw in the Franklin case that, uh, that one of the first like historical smoking guns would be the Cleveland street scandal. Um, as far as Oscar Wilde's connection to it, you know, um, I knew about his trials. I, I, I read, uh, Reading jail when, when, you know, I was like 12 years old, 12 and 13 is when I discovered Oscar Wilde and was a really big fan. That's, that was, uh, uh, where I became really interested in, in, uh, you know, decadent literature, uh, Baudelaire, Rimbaud and that kind of thing. Um, there's a book that I picked up that I'm blanking on the name, uh, while I was living in Burbank from, uh, dark delicacies, which is really interesting little shop. Uh, you can sometimes find some really rare and interesting books and collectibles there. 
And uh, it was one of my favorite uh, uh, places when I was uh, living in Burbank and uh, found this book on Oscar Wilde uh, by this, you know, uh, one of those that like, you know, a few hundred copies of this were ever printed. <laughs> and it was a small press run and I, I've got one in my hand. And that was where I learned more about the trials and some of the, uh, you know, weird connections to, for instance, the, uh, you know, the, the Cleveland Street scandal. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'd been interested from, from Oscar Wilde on, I became interested in, uh, you know, uh, a lot of what you would call the, the pulps and whatnot, you know, uh, love, the Lovecraft mythos and, uh, uh, Robert W. Chambers's connection to the Lovecraft mythos, which by the way, which was what initially drew me to, uh, True Detective when I heard, oh, wow, there is yeah. going to be a TV show and it mentions the King in Yellow. You know, like all of a sudden people are aware of this amazing author who, by the way, Robert W. Chambers, I just got to say, like, this guy was one of, like, speaking per capita, not by, you know, book sales, obviously, one of the per capita greatest bestsellers of all time. Like, when you count how many people bought his books versus how many people are in the world, then, like, you know, it's it's staggering. Mm -hmm. uh, and... And the fact that, you know, he wrote The King in Yellow, it becomes uh, uh, very popular. And then he writes a couple other short pieces of weird fiction. Then he starts, just completely abandons it and becomes an incredibly popular writer of like romance and historical fiction and just everything. But this weird, weird fiction, which, you know, in, in The King in Yellow uh, or in uh, in the repair of reputations rather which introduces the idea of the play the king in yellow there's a character named wild w-i-l-d-e and he's tied up in this whole thing which uh uh involves uh what is it the uh uh the the repair of reputations he's called and you know he's got all these people who will blackmail the right people and we'll get your name out of the newspapers and we'll uh turn you know everything around for you if you've gotten involved in some kind of scandal um, and, you know, the, like the connection between Oscar Wilde and Hoisman and, uh, you know, some of Wilde's work at the time, you know, uh, you've got the picture of Dorian Gray, which um, like another uh, another author from a little bit earlier, you've got uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, you know, real quick, the uh, when, oh, yeah. I read, when I read the picture of Dorian Gray when I was like quite young, like, uh -huh. I read it and I was like, I don't get why he's aging. He doesn't seem to be doing anything that's bad. Like, what are what are <laughs> yeah. the sins? And it's like, oh, right. he's leaving out, but the implications, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the I I believe that uh, the the Jekyll and Hyde story and Oscar mm. Wilde's story are kind of the same story. Uh, and something I you know I don't think I mentioned in the book, but that I find incredibly fascinating. You know. Uh, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson had written Treasure Island, which was a huge hit amongst kids and kids don't buy books. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he had like one of the most popular books of all time and he's still broke. So he wanted to write something for adults. Uh, at the time, he's got this house that's got like a basement level and he can, you know, walk out on this seedy, seamy uh, uh, side of London um, you know, like the front of his house is, 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 you know, on a nice street, but he can walk out the back where he's not seen and enter, you know, the, the dark decadent uh, underworld of London that way. 
And he spent like three days in his basement writing uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde on who knows what combination or concatenation <laughs> is, as Parfrey put it, uh, uh, of, of, you know, uh, absinthe and opium and what the F ever was going around <laughs> in, in, in that time. Because there were a lot of, you know, uh, uh, authors at that time, Coleridge, whatnot, that were getting into drugs, drug culture and art and lit culture was already uh, tied together. So, yeah, I do think that uh, both of those stories are kind of very similar uh, and as for whether at Oscar Wilde knew things, yes, in between, um, you know, what's hinted at in the picture of Dorian Gray, which people at the time would know that, mm-hmm. oh, this guy, that's that's Jack the Ripper. I believe that a lot of people at the time got that. And then at the same time as his trials going on, he's got uh, the importance of being earnest and uh, uh, Lady Windermere's fan. One is about, uh, you know, uh, one of the themes is is uh, uh, being a martyr, uh, uh, you know, martyring your reputation, basically. Uh, and then the other one, there's a Bunbury, uh, where you take a, an assumed name and go around parts of the town that, that you're not usually found in. So it's just like all of these different little pieces. That and the fact that apparently there was a break in at Oscar Wilde's house right before the trial, um, I think. And this is this is one of those few cases where I don't believe that there is enough compelling evidence to really say this, but I can't help it. It's, you know, uh, I, 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 I do honestly believe that he may have had some papers that implicated powerful people uh, in the uh, Cleveland Street scandal. And that kept him safe because uh, he, of course, there was a, a you know, Bosey, uh, uh, Lord Alfred Doug- Douglas. Uh, you know, he he had made the mistake. See, in in, in like English Anglo aristocratic uh, culture, you know, uh, not uh, not to quote uh, uh, Patrick Bateman, but I'll go ahead. Uh, that whole Yale thing, the Anglo establishment bit with the, you know, oh, no, pederasty is fine as long as they're from the lower class. We're mentoring them. Actually, it's not abuse. You know, that that's something that apparently goes back you know, uh, centuries, which like, yeah, that's, that's so interesting because like, I just did that whole series on the Krupp steel fortune. Right. And Mm -hmm. one of the one of the, uh, main heirs was just an out and out pederast. He like, it was a whole scandal in like international socialist papers. They were reporting on it, you know, this and that, but like, apparently at the time in Germany, you know, Germany was like super gay during Imperial. Yeah, Second in Reich the Germany. Weimar era. Yeah, and, and 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 even even during the Nazi period, to some extent, the yes. underground culture remained. Yeah, and so apparently the like like the uh, police detectives like they had sort of like this informal system where they could technically blackmail a lot of powerful people, but they didn't because they worked for them. Like they the, it, like the police wasn't running the show right it was the other way around but right the informal understanding was that you could essentially be homosexual if you were with someone of your same social class and then Mm. in germany what they kept doing was have like they would always have problems when an upper class man was with a lower class man because basically 
there would become there would be some power imbalance and then one would right. want money and it would maybe get out so ah, in germany that makes sense. Yeah, their system keep it quiet that way yeah just keep it that way but like i see that like in england it definitely didn't they didn't have that same well maybe a little bit with the boarding schools but like i don't know it's a whole thing right yeah, yeah. and in that case too though like you know richard dawkins apparently was uh, molested at mm-hmm. uh, at his prep school, so a lot of that goes on too. Uh, I think, and and once again, that's apparently a tradition that goes back to the ancient Greeks and the founding of our decadent Western civilization, which yeah. is basically okay. So this is what we do: we take a little boy and uh, we pound his brain full of knowledge and his etc. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's literally like the foundation of Western civilization is 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 pretty decadent stuff. Uh when you look at it that way, that that a lot, you know, whether it's the Romans or the Greeks, uh the idea of you know pederasty as a form of mentoring, that's that's centuries, that's millennia old, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's and yeah, you're right. Like just linking like Oscar Wilde, that whole decadent literature with the Hoisman stuff. I think, like... I think all those guys had a had a feeling of what was going on and mm-hmm. knew that you can't write it in the newspapers. And so what's the best way to get that story across? You encode it in fiction. I, I you know, I believe that this is what uh, Philip K. Dick does. I believe this is what Thomas Pynchon does. Uh, and you know, I believe that it's what, uh, guys like, uh, Burroughs and Thompson do too, even though, though they were very much, um, I, I, it's strong words, but yeah, I would say degenerate, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, if, if, you know, I, I, I do believe that, uh, Hunter wasn't making a joke about Lucy, for instance, that he really did at least one time commit statutory rape and really enjoyed, you know, getting some innocent girl, uh just spun out on drugs to where she doesn't know where she's at and then has has his way you know you're, the, ta- you're like, saying hunter s thompson you said yeah yeah mm-hmm. the, the lucy story i don't think that's just a story like um that, that's the great thing about gonzo literature i guess is that you know you can kind of you know uh oh no that was just uh th- that was just a metaphor you know well, I, I didn't mean that literally you know but, yeah what's crazy is that like a lot of the people I'm talking to and like stuff were re- like, I'm reading, like something was up with Hunter S Thompson. <laughs> like he oh, started yeah. his yeah. career at Esalen. Like uh-huh. he was in the military as a reporter. Yep. Like there's, yeah, it all lines up. Yeah. He walked around with a suitcase full of drugs and everybody knew it, but he never got pulled over, etc. cetera. Yeah. While hanging out with Nixon in a bathroom i don't know man like yeah he had he had some connections just like leary like uh, t- timothy leary is like the uh uh on the, on the 10 most wanted list and he just breaks out of prison you know like you do when you're a harvard professor who's trained in breaking out of prisons that's what that's what they teach at harvard right like you know he learned psychology and then bro- minored in breaking out of prisons <laughs> <laughs> like i found that like a just going over timothy leary's career is like and being like even slightly skeptical is like such a useful tool for like talking to like normal people who know about drug culture right like right he was like so clearly like an intelligence asset it's ridiculous very very much so and he even admitted it at least once Mm -hmm. like he admitted that like uh, you know uh that he was pressured 
So he wasn't doing it like, you know, a lot of those scientists, uh, Dr. Jolly and Gottlieb, a lot of those guys did it for the love. You know, <laughs> like I believe that they really were into this crazy mad science. And, you know, somebody's going to give them absolutely zero, uh, like, you know, all the money you need, all the uh, all the cover you need. You know, nobody will ever find out and just, you know, just go at it. See what you can do to the brain. Can can we break it? Can we rebuild it? Uh, what can we do to people's brains? And and I think that those guys really enjoyed that, you know? Well, you know, it's interesting you say, because this is the same era where they had just done Operation Paperclip. They had just scooped up mm-hmm. all the bioweapons research from Japan yeah. and from the Nazis, all the rocketry. Like, they basically took the science when you have all the gloves off who cares? We'll just experiment on humans right? and see yeah. what happens. And different people say, oh, the, the research was actually worthless. But then they basically do the same thing with like MKUltra. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, the rocketry worked. The, yeah. the bioweapons probably worked. Like, are we to say that the mind control research didn't work? I don't know. And, and and if so, then why did they spend decades on it? Uh, you know, the, the majority of the 20th century, there was covert and overt research into mind control. Uh, the only reason I can figure they would do that is because they're hiding something else, you know, which is mm-hmm. kind of what I wonder about, like Stargate, for instance, if, if Stargate wasn't sort of a cover for uh, continuing MKUltra. Uh, you know, ap- apparently there were, you know, there was some uh, uh, members of Congress at the time who were concerned about that. Um, but yeah, no, like if 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 it wasn't about the mind control, then then what were they spending those millions of dollars and decades on pretending to study mind control? You know, because mm. like what's worse than that then? Uh, and I don't know, but it would have to be something worse than that that they'd want people to think, uh, well, you know. No, we were just doing mind control experiments, mom. You know, like what's worse than that? Uh... <laughs> yeah. And then like, I didn't even know about the uh, Iowa University monster experiment. Oh, like, I wow. had not yeah. heard of that. And I mean, could you explain that just uh, as a, like a basic premise for the listener? Uh, Wendell Johnson, who the last I checked, and it's, it's been a couple of years now, Um, at the University of Iowa, which, by the way, has like a BSL-3 or 4 lab uh, and an MK institution ties. Um, uh, And this is why I don't buy the whole, you know, when people talk about, well, the official story of MKUltra is um, we discovered that there was brainwashing going on in Korea, so we had to start researching it. No, you you were already doing those experiments in the 20s and in the 30s. You know, just just, just today on the timeline. Right, exactly. You just needed you just needed the bad guys, the boogeyman. Look, the boogeyman is doing this. So we have to do that same thing or else he'll have the brain bomb because it was all about, you know, the Cold War is all about who gets the bomb first, whether Mm -hmm. it's the culture bomb or the bug bomb or the brain bomb. uh, It was all about who gets the bomb first. Uh, and so we pretended like we hadn't been spending decades, uh, doing these similar types of research that, uh, all of a sudden, you know, uh, there, there are similar Nazi, uh, uh, experiments that were done and we've got that data and those scientists, uh, quick tangent, by the way, how effed up is it that 
Nuremberg, the whole purpose of Nuremberg was to get the worst human rights offenders, but some of the worst escaped justice. Why? Oh, I'm sorry. For national security purposes, we need monsters. We need monsters. And that's like, you know, they called it the monster experiment. The reason why uh, the monster experiment was suppressed at the time was it was right around the time people were starting to hear about uh, Nazis doing experiments and, uh, you know, uh, human experimentation on Jews and concentration camps. And so, you know, somebody, I guess, takes uh, Dr. Johnson aside, William Johnson, listen, guy, um, I know you've been taking these war orphans. Um, I think I think there was a similar experiment that was also done at, at U Iowa, where where they took war orphans, war orphan babies, and injected them with radioactive materials, you know, yeah. to see what happens. We got to find out what happens when you, uh, you know, inject war orphans with with radioactive materials. Else, we won't know what happens. Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of like experiments that mk ultra had with like radiation like mm-hmm. that does not match the whole the, yeah oh, nobody it's just ever LSD. mentions the, the 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 radiation stuff exactly uh some of the radiation and frequency stuff is mm-hmm. what's most interesting to and me. magnetic uh, fields and such oh yeah yeah emf and and yeah absolutely especially when like i said the the implications of uh cybernetics and cell phone towers and all that, you know, that's where, that's where uh, I've got to rein myself in before I go completely like right. tinfoil hat, because yeah, I mean, like it, 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 uh, it, it does make me wonder like how much, you know, um, uh, Yasha Levine's book, uh, Surveillance Valley does a good job of connecting, you know, the cybernetics scene uh, uh, to ARPANET and, uh, uh, David Livingstone's book on uh, transhumanism, history of a dangerous idea, connects that to the psychedelic culture and MK Ultra and commune and cult scene. Stuart Brand is like at the center of a lot of those. That you know, whether it's Army Intel, Army and CIA Intel, uh, and Silicon Valley, and the commune and cult scene, and the psychedelic scene. Stuart Brand is like the linchpin in the middle there. Oh, I uh, gotta, I gotta ask you. Uh-huh. Everything you're saying. Have you seen the arts uh, that Suzanne Treister makes? No, I don't think so. Oh man, I gotta send it to you because basically she makes like beautiful schizophrenic art that like will make like these interlocks and like she'll like illustrate the Macy conferences and how it relates to like basically MK Ultra to like mcgill university to like oh my gosh yeah the radio yeah, wave yeah. research i'll send it to you and i recommend oh my it gosh my yes listeners. absolutely oh wow yeah you would have a field day i know <laughs> <laughs> no well, but I, like I, no go ahead yeah uh, i I'm, I'm a data visualization nut because like i'm i'm no good with spatial relations mm-hmm. but if it's on two dimensions and it has bright colors and arrows maybe i'll get it <laughs> Yeah. So with the Iowa monster experiment, right, it was 22 orphans, half Mm -hmm. of whom got positive speech therapy, half got negative speech therapy, which sounds like on the face of it, maybe that doesn't sound too insane. But like, yeah, what does that even mean? Yeah, it permanently damaged 11 people's ability Mm -hmm. to speak for their entire lives. Yeah. And that's speech impediments for their whole life. And the Wendell Johnson, 
uh, building at the University of Iowa. Like they're, they're not ashamed of him. They're yeah. not ashamed of him. The, the building still got his name on it. Like if if I did like if I took a bunch of war orphans and like permanently disabled them in ways like I doubt they would like name a library after me. <laughs> you yeah. know, I guess I know the wrong people or something. But you're I think it was in your book where you or maybe I was just reading on Wikipedia or something. But like someone pointed out that like a huge amount of what we know about speech therapy does actually come from this monster experiment. So it oh, was yeah. in a yeah, very dark way, ugh. supposedly very helpful. And I'm not uh, saying that it was worth it. In fact, I would probably argue the opposite. But yeah, like, absolutely right. Theoretically, then if bioweapons research was operated with no concern for humanity, like in Japan, and then we got that research, mm-hmm. I don't think that that research was probably quote unquote worthless, right? Right. So yeah. it is with like the Tuskegee experiments, presumably mm-hmm. same with like MK Ultra. Yep. No. And then in the book that, oh, sorry, in your book, you go into Nexium, and oh, yeah. I was, I was like, okay, this is, this will be the gold standard for me. This, okay. How he handles this. And you <laughs> went right into the fact that they were using electrodes. They were doing yeah. trauma based brainwashing. And I was yeah. like, I'm sold because <laughs> so many people talk about Nexium and they're like, oh, branding women. It was a sex cult. Blah, right. Blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Which but, it was that too. The, the, yeah, the it was. sex and the coercion, you know, that's, that's part of almost like most major cults have some amount of sex and coercion. You know, mm-hmm. there are very few examples. Um, I would say like uh, um, the, the hail bop, the Hillbop cult. They were pretty asexual. They they went so far as to literally castrate themselves. So, but apart from them, Scientology is more muted. Like there's absolutely there's sex and coercion is, is, is usually involved in most cults. I would say. Yeah. But you took it to the brainwashing and the intelligence connections. And that's where so many people like who want to talk about cults because they're extremely interesting. They never want to look at organized crime or intelligence or, you know, brainwashing. <laughs> which which we've got them all interconnecting in the Nexium story. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there are major political players who are, are funding, you know, or members. Um, there's uh, the, the McGill University, um, right. who's where the Bronfman's, who are tied to Meyer Lansky, who's got the Hollywood ties. And, and like uh, Nexium, in case, you know, for anybody who's not aware, Nexium is uh, like the Process Church. It is a Scientology spinoff. It mm-hmm. is literally, it starts at the core. It's like, you can think of it as like, uh, like Linux, you know? Like there's all this, these different spins and flavors of Linux, but they have the same kernel. They have the same code base. And yeah. uh, the, in the case of the Process Church, Charles Manson uh, starts off with some Scientology influences, uh, you know, when, when he's programming the family. You know, they used e-meters and whatnot. Um, and it's, it's ironic, too, because, like, I've heard other people say that the core of Scientology is black magic. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, the, 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 the ties between L. Ron Hubbard and the Babylon working with mm-hmm. Jack Parsons, that's another one of those that, like, uh, that's another one of those situations, by the way, where there's a lot of weird uh, Lovecraft tie-ins, uh, a lot of tie-ins to Lovecraft and Pynchon, and, you know, once again, these, uh, uh, these cases where it seems like um, uh, there, was, there was a truth too dangerous to write out uh, just as is not only too dangerous, but it would be immediately ridiculed. But if you hide it in a compelling fiction story that will last generations, occasionally people who study enough of the, the stuff that the author was studying will see these things to kind of jump out, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's for me, that's, that's the most fun, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I think that, uh, uh, what was his S.T. Joshi is probably one of the world's premier Lovecraft scholars. Mm. And I hate to admit it, but there was something he said once that I have to agree. In the past 20 years or so, I have read 10 to 20 times as much Lovecraft scholarship than Lovecraft. It's not to say I don't still enjoy reading Lovecraft. It's just like for every page of Lovecraft's fiction that I read, I read 10 pages about Lovecraft and, and, and Chambers and these other guys who were all involved in this, you know, weird circle that I think was, you know, kind of encoding some ideas involved with uh, the, the, the literary community at the end of the, the 19th century. A lot of them were getting into uh, occultism and Satanism and this kind of thing, uh, you know, uh, and- but yeah. Like now, no, go ahead. Yeah. Now, now as far as the occultism thing, you know, uh, to get back on topic in regards to Nexium, um, you know, that McGill is the connection to, uh, to Ian Cameron, who's the uh, mm-hmm. who's head of the World Psychiatric Association, head of the American Psychiatric Association, head of the Canadian Psychiatric Association, and also ruined numerous brains numerous minds he just destroyed them you know uh you got a little bit of depression you got a little anxiety here go see the doctor now like decades later some of these families are still suing because their family member just uh, like they can't touch them just turned they into freak a out. yeah yeah, yeah. They, uh, it's it's absolutely you know uh and the bronfman family which like i said is tied to meyer lansky who's tied to the mccain's um uh, which is ironic because McCain ties into the the Korean brainwashing story too. Yeah. And it's just like uh, you know, uh, and the the Bronfmans, by the way, a lot of these folks, uh, a lot of these families, um, you know, the uh, the Melons, for instance, they're not just interested in mind control and and psychedelics. They're also interested in occultism and aliens. You'll see this over <laughs> and over and over and over again. Um, you know what? Why were the Stargate guys having like, you know, uh, uh, field trips to the Giza pyramids? You know, like what was going on with that? Uh, the, the Bronfmans were tied into uh, SRI and uh, specifically stuff related to the Ennead, the Nine, which, you know, ties into mm-hmm. possible Israeli intel agent um, Yuri Geller, who I always like to mention this because, you know, if you ever spent more than five minutes watching QVC, try it sometime. <laughs> that channel is is built on mind control. Okay, I guarantee it. Like it is proof that you don't believe mind control exists. Okay, I dare you. Spend an hour, like get stoned, 
and turn on QVC <laughs> for an hour. Don't change the channel and tell me you don't believe in mind control. But Yuri Geller's daughter, by the way, makes like charms and pendants for QVC, apparently. Lori Geller, she's got her own line, literally. Uh, I think Yuri Geller sold some stuff on there, too. Uh, but yeah, it's it's all these, you know, crazy ties uh, with with Nexium. There's uh, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, one of her parents. Um, you know, they, they, they got ties to Mexican, uh, uh, you know, uh, big wigs in the politics in mexico mm-hmm. uh i think there's even a tie to what's that uh oh my gosh um the uh, there's some ties to some some mormon big wigs and it's just it, it's, yeah, it's they, weird yeah ne- the nexium cult was associated with some of the still polygamist sects down yeah. there in northern mexico yeah mm-hmm. no like mcgill university like man what a heart of darkness yeah university is and then yeah the bronfman's like they are into so much stuff like ayahuasca cults uh the the bronfman's the rockefellers there are certain families Mm -hmm. um you know that like we don't have a cia the cia cia doesn't exist there's these families there's these families and they've got guys who do things and, and you they don't get in, in their way in you some know? ways That's... yeah there's like a thing above the intelligence agencies exactly that like yeah, interact yeah. With them. The, the people the people who uh funded uh the opium wars and mm-hmm. founded the ivy leagues are the same families that were the core of the oss that you know once again back to the that whole yale thing you know mm-hmm. uh yeah there's uh the CIA itself as an agency does not have agency compared to those families. You know, they're, they're at their beck, they're at the company's beck and call the agents of the CIA. Uh, but it's really about like these, these old, uh, mainly old money families. Uh, you know, the, the, the Bushes, of course, a lot of skull and bones men, um, you know, and, and that's what, that's the intelligence community as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, and of course, there's wars within wars, uh, you know, interagency wars and, and squabbles because there's squabbles among those families. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I do believe that that's uh, that, you know, that that's that's oversimplifying it to uh, to an almost dangerous degree. But at the same time, I think it's kind of useful as an idea uh, to remember that the CIA as an agency does not have agency that it's really more about these oligarch families uh, who have been running things since the, the, the revolution. You know, I mean, like uh, when, when George W. Bush ran against, when, when two, two distant cousins who were both <laughs> members of the Skull and Bones and who both going back far enough are British lords are running for president against each other, I dare you to tell me that the Revolutionary War worked. that's why we had the war so that those guys wouldn't rule us right well i did i guess the revolution didn't take sorry you know (laughs) exactly exactly literally can mary fry some fish mama I'm as hungry as can be Oh, Lordy, how 
Psycho, don't you, Mama? I just killed Johnny's pup. You think I'm psycho, don't you, Mama? You better let him lock me up. You know the little girl next door, Mama? I think her name is Betty Clark. Tell me that she's dead Mama Why, I just seen her in the park She was sitting on a bench Mama Thinking up a game to play Seems I was holding a wrench Mama Then my mind walked away You think I'm psycho, don't you, Mama? Didn't mean to break your cup. You think I'm psycho, don't you, Mama? Mama, Mama, why don't you get up? Say something to me, Mama. Mama, why don't you get up? Oh, man. And then, okay, I really liked that you pointed out that uh, Keith Ranieri was accused of abusing children which mm-hmm. i feel like yeah. that gets and that's lost. all that all they always you know it's 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 uh it blows my mind that that the you know the teenage girls that he was telling oh you know i knew you in a former life and you were a you know uh it's a little more advanced than gee you seem old for your age or mature for your age but you know like as far as as creepy older guy pickup lines go, that's that's definitely like top five tier, uh, and and I I don't get it. It's it's the same thing that we have with uh with Me Too with the Me Too mm-hmm. movement. Like there were kids too, right? Like we know about them because there were prison terms for some of these people, 
And, and of course, we don't know those kids' names because of their privacy. Is that the reason why we completely ignore children in, in Me Too? Because they don't have names? Yeah. Yeah, no. You, when you uh, brought up and pointed out Rose McGowan and her, like, weird hypocrisy, like, mm-hmm. what's the deal? Like, is she an operative? Because I swear, she is the worst possible choice to be, like, a prominent figurehead for me too right? uh, yeah absolutely yeah but yeah just like yeah. controlled opposition or something like right yeah uh, you know there is uh there's what she said about victor salva um you know it's it's ironic because uh on the one hand she talks about oh these people knew and they can't hide and on the other hand this is the same woman who when uh advocate magazine is interviewing her uh, you know, it's like, so what about the fact that, that, you know, he's a, uh, you know, molested a young boy and she's like, oh, well, I don't know anything about all that. And, and he's like, yeah, but he's a sex criminal and it was little boys. She's like, well, yeah, you know, he's just a real nice guy. Like that's literally, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that's, that's pretty much how that whole thing went. Uh, as for, uh, you know, is she controlled opposition, et cetera? Um, Maria Farmer certainly seems to think so. Um, you know, she and her younger sister were uh, two of the earliest known Epstein victims. Maria is one of the first Epstein whistleblowers since the mid-90s, she was telling people. And, and she's also one that can, uh, you know, how did she get tied into? Uh, she was funneled uh, towards uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein by Eileen Guggenheim. Uh, and you know she points out all these connections between uh, you know multiple major art and cultural institutions with very sleazy ties. Science and politics in Hollywood are well represented. We hear a lot about that, um, but for whatever reason, like the ties to the media and the art and culture world, we don't hear as much about that. I don't know why. Uh, you remember when ABC c- killed the Virginia Jufrey story because they didn't want to get in uninvited to the royal wedding? Yeah, access <laughs> journalism at its finest. We we can't cover the story or else we won't this this world sh- shaking story. Uh, you know of of multiple powerful people uh, tied to child trafficking, or we won't get good seats for the next big click popcorn news affair. That's literally what was going on. Uh, you know, and she was caught on a hot mic, and whoever leaked uh leaked that uh, the hot mic footage it was after they moved to cbs and then cbs fired them for leaking mm-hmm. that at abc you know what i mean it's yeah. like they they got punished for releasing this this that was an important bit of information that abc killed a story because they didn't want uh you know their access to the the royals uh uh to 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 be in danger before the royal wedding that's you know, a, that's big news it's a real mockingbird moment right <laughs> exactly yeah yeah like that the idea that that uh mk ultra or mockingbird or especially mk mockingbird ever ended uh you know that's it's it's, it's kind of like the line about the you know uh uh the the best trick that the that the devil ever did was convincing the world he didn't exist uh you know the greatest trick that's the, the greatest op that the cia ever pulled was convincing everybody that they're really just bungling a-holes who have no idea what they're doing because <laughs> people buy into that like yeah. and and if that were so wouldn't that still be as much like okay either they know what they're doing or they don't but either either way that's a good reason for getting rid of them mm-hmm. right 
Like, yes. if they are this bungling organization that for decades has only caused trouble, you know, the Keystone CIA, like whether they're the Keystone CIA or they're the great Panopticon, either way, we would want to get rid of them, right? <laughs> now, let me let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, Joaquin Phoenix is maybe my favorite living actor. Like, Oh, right, yeah. I love him in every single movie. Yeah. But, Kind of like with Rose McGowan. Like, okay, Joaquin Phoenix doesn't really say anything that really alerts, but like, of course, he grew up in The Children of God, which he talked uh-huh. about. Yeah. And he, of course, is in a bunch of movies that I would call um, significant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Master, the movie that may have gotten Philip Seymour Hoffman a special <laughs> dose of heroin. Yeah. Uh, Inherent I, I, you Vice. Know, you were never really here. Uh-huh. Uh, the yeah, list yeah. goes on. So at the, at the Joker, of course, culminating in the Joker, <laughs> in fact, because once you go that far and it's like, OK, you figured out about the cult and you figured out about the, the, the serial killers. And it's like, now you're the killer. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> surprise ending. Yeah, there's there's sort of two ways of reading it, because you could assume, OK, he grew up in a cult that was yep. like, you know, kind of a front for the cia or like an asset of mm-hmm. the cia right. and like he saw all these crazy things his brother died in a weird yeah. suspicious way like is are like is he picking roles that interest him because he's a weird dude or is he placed in certain roles because I of think that he's background placed, and i i think jim carrey jim carrey mm. do you know about his childhood you know like Not, another nothing one of those about cases. his childhood uh apparently like you know he had to drop out of school in order to take care of his family and he had like you know just this horrific traumatic childhood which is why he's able to dissociate into these characters which was, oh, is geez. what makes him so great which is what turned him into andy kaufman which led him to the transcendentalist kick and you know mm-hmm. you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. how like he he had these roles and what the mask like one after the other the number 23, which ties yeah, to Crowley yeah. and Robert Anton Wilson. It's he was very much, I believe, placed in these roles, which got him interested in things, which set him down a path. And that's where we get the oh no, there's no such thing as Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is just his body. Okay, well, the body that is Jim Carrey, I could really use a million dollars. And since you're not there <laughs> and using it, you could just give it to me. But yeah, no, I think I think it is a similar case with uh, uh, with Joaquin Phoenix, which, by the way, I love the master. Uh, yeah. that's, that's that's one of the best. Yeah, I, I was seeing an interview with him once. I remember, you know, I was I was homeschooled up until fifth grade, raised by kind of fundamentalist parents. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there was there was something in one of his interviews and just the way he was behaving. And I was like, was he homeschooled as a fundamental? And then later, and I was like, oh no. Okay. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So maybe, maybe my childhood was a little, love you mom, a little culty. Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, it was, I think a very, like there was a, a, a similar kind of, you know, where, where, you know, you learn to be really, you try to be really polite to everybody and respect. There was just something about like the way he comes across. I don't think that's an act, you know? I think yeah. he really is like, you know, a good hearted guy who is is probably a fairly respectful, uh, uh, you know, like 
uh, a, a lot of that whole Hollywood thing when they start talking about, hey, you're not supposed to drink milk and cow farts and whatever. I think a lot of that is just because Marlon Brando started a trend in the 70s, right? And then it became the thing to be, you know, because they're so full of themselves, they have to pretend, no, no, I'm just using my fame to advance this higher ideal. But no, I don't think that's the case with Joaquin Phoenix. I think he really does care about the things that he says he cares about. But at the same token, yeah, he was raised in a cult that may have been used by the CIA. Um, Dr. Ruth Wangerin uh, believes mm. that there's a possibility that they were, uh, you know, anthropologists at CCNY. Um, and I, I, I've not found a copy of the whole book. I've only found chapters uh, here and there. Um, but, you know, her book is is really fascinating and does make a pretty good case for um, the possibility that the children of God were utilized by the CIA, like the Finders cult. They show up in some weird, like, you know, yeah. you're not supposed to be able to just fly to North Korea and Iran in the 80s and the 70s. You know, and get like, behind, you know, and just showing up in Libya, Gaddafi just yeah, lets them in, right? Right, like, or or you're in attack, you're in Italy at the same time as this Christian Social Democrats are on the rise. I mean, which you know, like that that reminds me of like Scientology. You know, they had that stupid boat that they would go around with the, L. Ron Hubbard. The free winds. They yeah, just yeah, happened. Or, or no, yeah, the the one like where it's just him and a bunch of the main uh, one, yeah, like thirteen year old girls in hot pants, apparently. And <laughs> and he would just he would show up like he'd be off the coast of Greece when they're about to have their coup. He yeah, would, like, right. That's right. That's right. Yes, it's like absolutely. These cults are being instrumentalized. They're mm-hmm. clearly they're, covered. Uh, Iran believes that Baha'i. Uh, is is infiltrated by the CIA. The mm-hmm. Falun Gong is believed to be uh, infiltrated, if you know, if not led by the CIA at this Absolutely. point. Absolutely, and of um, course the Moonies. There's a overwhelming oh, yeah. amount of evidence uh, that that's the, the case. The Moonies and the Scientologists were probably the most effective yeah. at tying at 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 doing the reverse infiltration job, yeah. uh, where where they were getting jobs in you know as the secretary who throws away just the right piece of paper or you know um it's uh, like i i i i don't know if operation snow white was like under the aegis of the fbi mm-hmm. but i can almost see it as like a a, a pen test a penetration test a physical pen test you know yeah. like uh, let, let's let's use these let's outsource these scientologists and see where our weak spots are you know uh, and at the same time, you know, uh, the, the whole idea of Scientology and Nexium in both cases involves a whole lot of, okay, now sit in this room where we're going to record everything you say and you tell us everything you don't want anybody to know about you. And then we're <laughs> going to use that against you later. Like that's, you know, uh, once again, going back to the, the repair of reputations, that was the idea there. Uh, and, and Hoisman, by the way, uh, something that, that I didn't bring up here uh, or uh, that isn't mentioned in the book. This is, this is something that it will take me years to, to, to get all the way down that rabbit hole. But um, Père uh, Joseph-Antoine Boulon, who uh, you know, was involved in what was called the reparation of souls, uh, repair of souls and the repair of reputations. I think, I think once again that the Oscar Wilde uh, or the the Mister Wild character and the repair of reputation versus repair of souls. I think that these are 
uh, meant to be a nod to things that were actually going on there. Yeah, no, I mean, and then when you look at like the finders, they almost framed themselves as almost like some sort of penetration test team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, that, uh, uh, Petty says that he wanted to study the CIA, like he wanted to be the CIA's CIA. You know, like yeah. what the CIA does to the world, Marion Petty wants to do to the CIA. Basically, that was it. And his son, of course, is involved in uh, Intel in some means. And so is his wife. And that's all just, you know, just coincidental, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, no. And I'll say for the listeners. So you in your book, you have a chapter on the finders. And I, I was like, here's another test, because. I think much like anyone who's Epstein brained, which probably a lot of my listeners are, I think like uh, I think everyone has probably read of something about the finders and there's only so much. And yeah. I was like, let's see if there's something that I didn't know about, or let's see, you know, how it's conveyed. And first of all, I really liked that the way you covered it seemed to be separate from whatever the hell Ted Cunderson was selling. Like, right. You like, mixes up such weird disinformation like when yeah. he tells it so i liked that it was you know differentiated and like there's not that much right but like i really liked highlighting patch adams relationship to the leader of the finders marion petty which like oh yeah that's, what on earth crazy. what are we to make of that like good lord yeah yeah well um you know, I'll start off in regards to Gunderson. I want to believe. Uh, I choose to believe. I want to believe. I, I don't know what the right right phrase is. That Ted Gunderson is a good guy led astray. Uh, I do, do you remember Disinfo? They were the mm-hmm. Disinfo yeah. books. Everything you I know do. is a lie. And and then they had a series of uh, that was on like BBC or something. It was released as a double DVD. And I had that too. And there was an episode that had Gunderson on it. And they made him look like a fool. In one in one scene, he's sitting in a chair and there's like a bull's horns on the wall that gives him devil's horns. And he literally like like, you know, <laughs> he walks right into it. Like you were saying, he walks right into it. I believe uh, that he was a good guy led astray. Uh, as for John W. DeCamp, eh, not quite so certain in his case. I almost wonder if he wasn't one of the guys whose specific job it was to keep Gunderson astray. Um, uh, I, I want to think that Gunderson is, is what he appears to be, a fairly sharp ex-FBI agent who started to realize there's this undercurrent in D.C., New York, L.A., et cetera, where some really powerful pedophiles are, are involved. And of course, like uh, in a post-2017 world, this sounds crazy because of Pizzagate and whatnot being blasted into people's head, adrenochrome, Hillary eats babies and all this outlandishness, which, by the way, hey, maybe Hillary drinks blood to stay young and vital. But uh, as I've said before, if that is the case, she needs to switch brands or dealers or however that works. Um, there's the, the, the Basquiat painting. You know about the, about the Basquiat painting in Frazzledrip, right? Um, uh, yeah, th- there's the Jay-Z's got this sweater and it's a still from Frazzle Drip where um, Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin, uh, uh, they ate some little girl, eight year old girls face off. And then there's a still from that that is on Jay-Z's. No, that is a Basquiat painting, mm-hmm. which Huma would have been like, how old? 
she would have been eight years was was huma the eight-year-old girl because if not then i'm sorry your flat frazzle drip story is ridiculous and it makes people like me look silly and crazy which i think is a big part of the point there was so wait so was gunderson uh talking about this like was he advancing the frazzle drip like theory oh no no i or i just i just mean that like just in general like I gotcha. like with gunderson and gunderson and pizzagate like people take mm-hmm. a story and it's got a basis in, and it's got some firm roots and then as soon as you start like peppering it up and embellishing it a little bit and and once again i think you know uh like I, I never read anything on the Franklin scandal for years. I didn't touch it. I, I, I didn't know why. Now I'd seen, I'd seen conspiracy of silence, so I did believe something had gone on, but I just wasn't gonna read the camp's book. I don't know why. I just didn't feel. Co- I was like, I don't trust that. That it did not pass the sniff test, as they say. So you know, Nick Bryant's book, on the other hand, and. Uh, to the camp's credit, apparently that book never could have been made without his help, without like, you know, feet, feet mm. tall stacks of paper um, uh, and documents and things that uh, that were offered to Bryant from uh, from the camp. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, the uh, like like the stuff with, uh, you know, uh, the idea that Hunter S. Thompson is uh, uh, snuff. A snuff pornographer. I don't know if I buy that. Um, yeah, what was it? maybe not his... quite as. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not, not quite that. Like it's it, but it's so close as to be eerie, you know. Because like uh, one of uh, Hunter's secretaries once said uh, something along the lines of, "She was kicked out of the house because she wouldn't watch a snuff film uh, with him." Uh, you know, so that, you know, the, the, and, the, and there are, you know, like the, the whole idea of adrenochrome, like one of the big cultural, uh, like its cultural introduction is probably fear mm-hmm. and loathing in Las Vegas. And then it's like, it's like he planted a bomb that wouldn't go off for like 44, 43 years. And yeah. then Pizzagate happens. I remember the first like week of Pizzagate. And I was like, whoa, people know what those symbols are? Because those are symbols that I had run into like in 2003, 2004, when I start looking into the uh, organized, uh, organized pedophilia uh, and this subculture online. And there's, you know, these symbols that they use, uh, the, uh, the heart within a heart and the triangle spiral. Uh, and the first week of Pizzagate, I was so excited. And then it all turned into, you know, uh, like a Obama, weird Gnostic. Uh, Obama <laughs> eats people, and Hillary Clinton uh, sucks on adrenal glands, and, and I'm like, come on, guys. And once again, I'm not saying that they don't do that. I'm just saying, since there's no evidence of that, there's no evidence of that. There's no good evidence that yeah. they're using adrenochrome or whatever. Let's stick to what can be verified and corroborated. And, you know, maybe eventually one day we'll kick over a, a, a trash can and, and the secret of adrenochrome will spill out. But until then, let's focus on stuff that we can confirm. Because mm-hmm. as, soon as, you, as soon as you say the words elite pedophilia, people kind of look at you funny. They, they assume, oh, you're one of those, aren't you? And it's like, you know, I, yeah, yeah, I'm one of those because it happens. Like they get caught every decade or two. And I guarantee that as powerful as they are, 
sometimes they don't get caught. So, you know, that means there are more cases than what we know about. And we know about tons of cases. Yeah, no, exactly. And like, that's the other thing. The finders didn't get caught in the sense that they didn't get stopped and they didn't stop. They, there's like Marion Petty is dead. I'm pretty sure. Right. But like, oh yeah, yeah. the group continued and like, yeah. No, but I was going to ask you though, with the finders, you mentioned Mm -hmm. in your YouTube section. Yeah. uh, Yeah. About Elsa gate. Right. What were the odd videos that the finder cult members were uploading okay there the and 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 i don't know if this was some reddit and 4chan nonsense or Mm -hmm. what but somebody was at least using names of members of the finders cult and they were making some of these weird elsa gate videos and then like all the people who would comment on them it would be just like numbers uh like really weird long string um you know that's another thing when i was uh the with the whole uh, YouTube wake up there there are some really weird uh, accounts that seem to be using like emoji code or some other kind of code and once again like is this just an alternate reality game is this just an ARG arguably the finders cult was an ARG of sorts you know mm-hmm. um, it, it gets even more complicated when you consider the fact that um, the book the game caller was apparently formatted and put online at archive.org by Joseph Matheny, the Ong's hat, uh, incunabula guy who like ties together all these different, like, you know, Discordianism and subgenius and and all these different. Yeah, yeah. Like, which, which once again is very proto alternate reality game, right? So like just that little interstice right there. Um, so it is what's going on with uh, with people using their names just an IRL ARG? Uh, well, that's what the finders were, basically. They were an IRL ARG. So I don't know if it's some bit of what they call a chaotic fiction where there's, you know, people behind the scenes trying to create a storyline. Because I've seen where uh, ARGs sometimes use, uh, you know, MKUltra and some other similar real world events because it does add like an extra creep factor um so i don't know i don't know is is it just like a weird 4chan reddit thing or is it real well i don't know you know the longer i've spent like wasting my life looking at like someone like michael aquino like yeah the the longer i spend on that the more i kind of think that it like he might have just been like an act which is not to say that maybe he wasn't also doing crime, but like he was dressing like a vampire and going on live TV. He was a, like a psychological operations officer. Like yeah. the whole thing is a put on, but like, right, yeah. is he trying to just be the flashy thing so that the darker thing can occur out of frame or something, you know, like, and then like Aquino and Gunderson would like go on the road. They would like talk on the phone every day, according to Ed. Yeah, Alton. that's another weird thing. Like, like uh, 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 and there was something about Gunderson's wife. Yeah. I, yeah. So, like, yeah. Who had what, an Aquino, so, Aquino connection there. I don't know. Yeah. Gunderson torpedoes the McMartin case. Like, so I'm just like, is any of this real? Like, is or the is entire thing an arg? Like, like theater. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, be, because like, the the mcmartin kind of kicks off the whole uh satanic pit help well 
Michelle remembers kicks off mm-hmm. the satanic panic, but McMartin is where it took hold. That's really where lit, once they yeah. had, once they had turned the narratives and turned it into uh, you know the what would become the false memory uh, syndrome foundation uh, narrative that like oh well all these uh, stories of various uh, daycares where kids are being abused they're all fake stories like none of those kids are abused. Uh, they all involve ridiculous fairy tales, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then you get what, you know, Professor Ross Chidett Brown calls the witch hunt narrative. So like it starts mm-hmm. out with a panic and then there is a counter panic and both the panic and the counter panic have elements of truth and have elements of embellishment. And uh, so I, I do pretty much by that. Like, like I said, you know, Having, yeah, it's uh, like, having been raised in a home where you know Dungeons and Dragons is the devil, Star <laughs> Wars is the devil, Star Trek is the devil, uh, anything on CBS after 8.30 p.m. is the devil. And so, like, I, I, I'm the first to admit that a lot of the satanic panic stuff, now don't get me wrong, like, is all that stuff like new agey neoliberal programming? Absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, the same kind of stuff that's UN approved? Absolutely. Um but no, I don't believe that playing, uh, you know, Magic the Gathering is going to endanger your mortal, immortal soul. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's easy because there's some ridiculousness on, on, on both sides. It's, it's like so easy for people to just dig their feet in and, and not even look at the other side. That's, that's something I find really, you know, it's, it's kind of upsetting that, it, you know, it's... Uh, child child abuse is one area um like public health that is being politicized and should not be um if you know if you could kind of get on the same page about the things that are responsible for uh, the the potential survival of the human race and the earth as a whole if we could get on the same page about that that would be kind of nice you know no i completely agree and like i know you'll get this because obviously you wrote this book but like i feel like so many people just a couple years older than me like went through the 90s and the whole like the tail end of the satanic panic and they saw like mm-hmm. the tipper gore bullshit about yeah. metal music right and then they just turned their brains off and never like and assumed that that never means no kids were abused in any of those stories yeah. exactly it was all made up yeah and like it's just like on the flip side of course yes like many of these people criticize like a lot of this narrative was complete nonsense on the flip side but like mm-hmm just like we're talking about like this is like pro wrestling these are like both it's like a fake like one side is fake the other side is fake and they're both exaggerated versions of the of reality and 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 you know to to clarify there um you know i'm not a big wrestling fan but i Mm -hmm. i know enough to know what kayfabe means and I, I like that, you know, I, I've used a similar metaphor that, that, you know, politics, the whole thing, it's like it's it's a political sideshow. It's like soap opera slash uh, uh, slash professional wrestling, because it is it is real in the sense that, like, you know, they're really out there, uh, you know, but it's choreographed. Mm-hmm. It is real. It's just choreographed. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, because it's like much like pro wrestling they are really yeah he's really throwing that guy yeah yeah yeah. 
they, they just planned how to do it in such a way that it looks worse than it is exactly and just like with politics like it's choreographed but they are about to do like a war on drugs that will completely ruin how many <sighs> millions of lives like that part's uh, real exactly okay let's see i was gonna say you had a uh, section in the book where you laid out Disney and Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah. And all of the pedophiles that have worked for both, especially mm-hmm. in their live action TV shows. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And like, I remember, I don't know. I think I get the impression that you're a little older than me, but like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, when I was a kid, I was at the tail end of when Disney shows started stopped being cartoons and started being live action and Mm. same with Nickelodeon so it was about the same time and I remember like I thought those shows were creepy and weird not like not necessarily like oh this is a pedophile thing but like I I got weird vibes from like weird yeah yeah and then like all the kids who watched them my age were like they acted weird they acted, they acted like the people on the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's conformist. It's, uh, uh, you know, the, the, there's a, a general, like the cool kids. Uh, it's, it's sort of similar to the, like the Macaulay Culkin prototype, mm-hmm. Bart Simpson prototype, the smart ass kid who knows more than all the parents, you know, yeah. like that was, that was part of what I saw in a lot of those. I hated those shows. Like, um, through, throughout that same period, yeah, I'm I'm definitely older than you because during around that same period was I'm I'm uh, in my early and mid twenties and doing a lot of catch hopping. So some of my friends have kids and some of them are watching these shows and I'm like, I don't like this. Like <laughs> I've got you know I've got an email chain with uh, the former editor, uh, whoever was the editor of Paranoia Magazine. Back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, I'd written an article about MK Ultra, And at one point, I started talking about, the, about how Disney creeps me out and how, like, the, the, the whole thing about Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana, uh, two different personalities, it's very GHS to Brooks. It's very trauma training, you know? Yeah, and it's like, also like a weird, almost like Twin Peaks with Laura Palmer, but like yes, she's yeah, like yeah. prior to her being murdered or something. Yeah, where she's got this like, uh, you know, subsumed personality within and this other that only comes out in certain circumstances. Yeah, it's, there is like just something, something that just really uh, creeps me out, even even as far back as like, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007, uh, mm-hmm. when, you know, when, whenever it was that the Hannah Montana show showed up was, was when I started, I was like, okay, that's, that reminds me too much of, of like, uh, it, you know, the Candy Jones story, uh, mm-hmm. which th- that's another one of those cases, by the way, where that was occurring in World War II. You know, uh, we want to we want to blame it on on Korea in the 1950s. The well, that would work War, a lot yeah. better if if you hadn't started these experiments 10, 20 years before uh, before the pretext occurs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the Wizard of Oz and Fantasia were like, <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Wizard of Oz, by the way, you know, uh, an interesting thing about that book, it, uh, you know, 
uh, again, one of the most uh, notable pieces of children's literature in history, but it also revolutionized marketing. Did you know that? Like mm-hmm. it was one of the first books that where they started setting up displays with mm-hmm. pictures uh, from the book, you know, uh, w- which to me, I find really interesting because a lot of uh, the Wizard of Oz, that was another one of my faves as a kid. And, and even as a young adult, I, I reread them as an adult because, you know, I saw more in them as an adult than I did as a kid. Uh, but I, I, I think that both cases, they're, um, very satirical on on stuff like you know uh uh public relations and uh you know what's going on beneath uh beneath the surface and how things are not as they seem etc cetera, etc cetera. a lot of those uh similar themes which is why i think they also end up showing up so often in like conspiracy circles like mm-hmm. like you know the monarch thing i don't i don't know i uh i don't know about the monarch thing i don't know if i believe that uh you know uh that there was a project monarch uh because i don't think we have you know i haven't seen i haven't seen any documents on that uh we've got you know uh we've got the the transformation book i believe that woman was a a victim of mind control but you have to remember that like one of the things that they were working on was post-hypnotic suggestions and things like that which is why i think uh you know the the ties between the security state and an interest in aliens and ufos i think that uh, some abductions may be covert mk experiments because if you pick up a redneck in uh, in alabama in the middle of the night and you drop him back down after you've like implanted something in his brain or whatever um you know give him this idea that he was pulled up in a spaceship and had something put in his butt and no one will ever bother to take him seriously you know so Mm -hmm. i i think that it's possible that uh that the monarch story was left as you know like bob hope and all this other stuff uh that there was a post-hypnotic suggestion meant uh as a sort of disinfo bomb uh similar to like the adrenochrome stuff and, and and whatnot yeah no i mean i'm very constantly going back and forth on monarch because there's no good proof mm-hmm. and i'm always like yes we should believe like victims but not necessarily every aspect of the story is right true. exactly In a literal yeah. sense right it could yeah, be metaphorical exactly. yeah no and but then yeah, like I, I do absolutely believe she was a real victim of mk ultra but like i think it's also possible i, I also think that at this point the the monarch theme is going to be used in culture ops and whatnot like i think it's it's now become a trope so it didn't have to have been initially real for them to throw it in once in a while uh as part of a uh you know general uh trope of of because one of the main guys for it is that fritz springmeyer guy and his dad worked for usaid quote unquote and he yeah yeah like oh yeah i'm gonna believe that guy like sure and Corden hammond that's another that's another guy who you know a lot of the stuff that he talks about there's like absolutely no there's we don't we don't have anything to back up or corroborate what he says and when it comes to uh stuff like you know uh a mind control or whatever like i think it's important to stick to you know 
what can be verified because they're already they're already going to assume we're crazy so mm-hmm. we, you know so we don't need to give them any more uh ammunition in in the fight to make us look crazy uh you know uh, thank alex jones for that he's already <laughs> made anybody who talks about like just dozens of topics that are that are legitimate topics but if you bring them up, somebody's going to be like, oh, you listen to Alex Jones. You're one of those Pizzagate people, aren't you? And it's like, and, and like, even with the Pizzagate thing, there was a lot going on with Pizzagate that I do think is very suspect, which is why they had to throw in the whole like eating babies part so that nobody would look in deeper and they could just continually say the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, uh, the discredited and debunked Pizzagate conspiracy theory. Notice nobody ever actually took the time to discredit and debunk the Pizzagate conspiracy theory. They just kept saying over and over again, the discredited and debunked Pizzagate conspiracy theory. Like, so what was up with those? Like, which is, which is why in the book I do, uh, I contain one of those creepy pictures. There were a lot of creepy pictures on that Instagram profile. And yeah. I, had, I, I, I hate having to, you know, um, I, 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 I edited it slightly, uh, you know, uh, so that you don't see the kid's face uh, so much because, you know, for their uh, respect, uh, out of respect to them. But at the same time, it's like this was not debunked. This was nobody explained why why one of the most prominent men in D.C. is a pizza place owner who constantly makes jokes about pedophilia and whose house band is uh, constantly talking about pedophilia and who all the painters on the walls, their themes are pedophilia at this family family restaurant. It's a family restaurant. By the way, I'm just going to say, don't go to a pizza place in, in Portland either, because like I spent a week in Portland and uh, man, there was just like, there's like, there's something dark and like it, it felt very much like I had entered Twin Peaks for real, you know, mm. like it, uh, it, it's, it's, it's scary stuff, but like, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think that, uh, probably likely at this point, uh, if, you know, I do believe that stuff like cheese pizza were used as like code words among trafficker, uh, traffickers and uh, pedophilia rings and people who traded in uh, in in child exploitation materials online. Uh, but I do also think that at this point they are probably on to something new. You know, like Jenny's like, ice cream, burned. perhaps. Like what? Jenny's ice cream, perhaps. Oh my gosh! I think I saw. <laughs> is that the one where like and it's like the person is made out of ice cream and they're eating their own head or um, something? I don't know, but like Jenny's no, ice that cream is another is like, ice cream. Oh gosh. It's just yeah. a brand, right? But like and it's pretty good, but like they're from <laughs> Ohio. They're from Columbus. They're from uh-huh. the town where Leslie Wexner is, right? Mm, right. And they're like kind of like a brand that's just growing. And like there's been a bunch of like Nancy Pelosi doing a video and she has a whole bunch of like weird shit. I I don't know. I mean, well, you know, the, the, the symbol for uh, girl love, the symbol that, you know, the heart within a heart symbol is also the Unilever heart brands ice cream. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, they used the term ice cream and Unilever had their symbol. I don't know if there's a connection there, but I think probably, yeah. Well, you yeah. know what? Unilever, uh, this is going to sound, okay, for the <laughs> listeners, I'm just doing free association jazz right now. But like Unilever used a lot of palm oil, palm uh-huh. oil grown in the Belgian Congo. The Belgian oh Congo, where they did the like the Holocaust against the Congo, yeah, Congolese. Yeah, the, the King Leopold II was a literal pedophile. Yep, so, yep. And probably yeah. one of the most like if if you count mass murder in mm-hmm. Hitler uh, in Hitler numbers, like he was the most prolific mass murderer of history, possibly outside of the cons. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, like dwarf dwarfing like uh, like Hitler or or Pol Pot or whoever mm-hmm. uh, Emperor Leopold of belgium yeah yeah oh geez (laughs) (laughs) um let's see here so i because i wanted to be respectful of your time so like um i don't know if well like i don't want to go too long i do like there were a couple more things um oh for sure yeah but uh how are you doing yeah 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 let's go all right um i was gonna ask you so so you knew adam parfrey uh yeah well um uh we 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 corresponded for years (laughs) oh no no not at all we corresponded for years uh and you know like it's it's kind of silly but uh you know i i was working on like a little notebook type dealy for him uh when he died actually so Hmm. like i i considered him um uh, a friend and mentor i guess we only met in person once uh you know, I'd been a fan of, you know, I mentioned Disinfo, uh, mm-hmm. Feral House was another big influence in my, uh, in my late teens and early twenties, then got into unpop art and, you know, was interested in fringe and underground culture for years. Uh, and eventually end up connecting with him on Facebook and, you know, we correspond on email. Uh, but once again, it was when I was in Burbank, uh, he was there for a Feral House event, Lupercalia weekend at Wacko Soap Plant, which is uh, <laughs> specifically La Luz de Jesus Gallery in Wacko Soap Plant, which is like the, the birthplace of lowbrow art, they call it, um, which is also, by the way, I'm sorry about the tangents. No, I'm not sorry. Is in <laughs> Los Feliz, which, of course, there's a Black Dahlia connection there. Mm. Um, now, Parfrey, I compare him to Kenneth Anger, uh, in a couple ways in this in the sense that he always seemed to have dirt on everybody and the inside scoop and the uh and the hottest gossip and in the sense that he hung out with satanists yeah. so yes yes i i you know uh not to like whitewash the man or whatever but yes apparently like he he hung out with the levees and he hung out with the process and yeah and he hung out with uh a Gen- genesis peorage who you know, it was, was also a huge influence of mine until I had this weird moment in my late twenties where I kind of woke up and realized that all my heroes are awful degenerates who maybe work <laughs> for the CIA, <laughs> you know, like it was, yeah. it, it's like, it was just too much to handle. And, and I'm still, I can't help it. I, I'm still big fans of a lot of these, these people, uh, regardless, um, but yeah, now, uh, one of the most interesting things about Parfrey that, that he ever said to me, I remember him once saying that uh, Tom Hanks uh, 
Tom yeah. kind of cryptically referencing Which, that Tom Hanks worked hard to create his squeaky clean image for good reason. Now he never mentioned what that reason might be, but you know, think of how many pro CIA movies that Tom Hanks has done. You mm-hmm. know, like there are certain people like in over Hollywood six or something. Yeah, that we know have a cushy relationship with the military industrial complex. Uh, you know, like the movie Contact almost wasn't made. They had to rewrite scenes of it. Why? Because the military is in charge of Hollywood sometimes. Sometimes the military says, you either write it this way or you don't get to make your movie, you know? Mm -hmm. And so some Hollywood actors realize that, hey, those people, you know, have some sway here. And if I'm friends with them and do their pro-CIA, pro-military movies, then, you know, uh, and I think in some cases, those guys probably get extra protection too you know yeah no and like i noticed in the in your book that you cite that adam parfrey was uh i guess directly stating yeah, that very Ste- directly that steven spielberg was a pedophile and i can't he, believe he was never sued okay like in 1993 that is yeah such an early time to be the movie that. hook has just come out the yeah. movie Hook has just come out, and that's a lot of what the article is about, which, by the way, I believe it's still online for free. Um, yeah, I, I pulled House. it up because I wanted to read yeah. it because I saw yeah. that. Oh, my like... gosh. It is so crazy. Um, like, I, I really literally do not know how he didn't get sued unless it was because either A, Steven Spielberg is poor and he can't afford good lawyers or B <laughs> Steven Spielberg is afraid of discovery. Like, which is it? You know, I mean, like, you don't just let, you don't just let a guy say, so yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a pedophile. <laughs> By the way, I'm, I'm Adam Parfrey noted uh, publisher in, in the small press world, you know, like Adam Parfrey, you know, he's an underground figure, but he's a pretty, pretty big underground figure, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so, no, yeah, like, the, the fact like, that that just slid, yeah. Like smart people know about the Streisand effect. Like they know yeah, right, not to like. Right. If he'd fought it, if he'd fought it, then then that would have turned into a thing. Then it would have turned mm-hmm. into the the Parfrey v Spielberg defamation case over whether or not he is or isn't. Like, have you ever heard the uh, Michael Crichton? Somebody reviewed a Michael Crichton novel, mm-hmm. and they reviewed it very poorly. So Michael Crichton wrote a story that used the reviewer's name, except he gave it, he made him like a pedophile with a small oh, penis. No. And, he, and it's referred to as the, the small penis defamation defense or something along those lines. Because in order to say this character has my name and is obviously supposed to be me, Oh, so you're a pedophile with a small penis, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, uh, I, I don't. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, by the way, I no, no, that's John Grisham. Uh, may have been John Grisham that did that because John Grisham also, like uh, Dershowitz, has has said some kind of creepy things, either in favor of you know, oh, it was statutory rape isn't such a big deal, and hey, not everybody who gets caught with uh images of child rape is a pedophile necessarily and it's like okay i i yeah whatever uh yeah i think that was grisham actually not uh not Crichton. it does yeah. sound like more of a lawyer move to yeah exactly <laughs> right yeah yeah 
I'll have to look that up. That's funny. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, because, like, I'm always also going back and forth on Adam Parfrey. And, of course, I'm not trying to, like, you know, talk ill of the man. But, like, oh, of, course not, yeah. of course, he's, like, hanging out with Nazi Satanists. So. Yeah, I have, like, literally. It's yeah, a hard literal, legacy to like, and, and, it's, and once again, <laughs> this is something that I say over and over. I, I think that the words uh nazis and satanists are thrown around too much like most like most of the time when somebody calls someone a nazi or a satanist they're not they're not, not in they're, a strict you know, sense like yeah. they're they're an occultist or they're a new ager or they're a wiccan or no like these are literal <laughs> satanists and literal neo-nazis but now i don't know boyd rice is boyd rice a literal neo-nazi or is he a I think at this point, I think it might I don't be know. more literal. Like, yeah, you think yeah. so? Like, I do wonder, because, you know, what's another thing that's interesting is the fact that Parfrey, uh, you know, is half Jewish himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think, like, I think that there's something about being biracial, especially being half Semitic. Half Semitic is enough to be hated, but not enough to get on one of the team or the other. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. if you're if you're half Semitic like Parfrey and me, I think that's I think that really is like for me one of the reasons why I'm so interested in ethnonationalism. Uh, <laughs> whether like I don't I don't care what team I'm interested in all the teams because none of them will have me. <laughs> and come come the ethno revolution, like where do we go? You know <laughs> where do where are you guys putting the half Semites and the half brown people? I I need to know this, you know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so, so I think like, I think that was at least part of the, re- that, and that's one of the reasons why I find Parfrey so interesting is because we are like, uh, interested in the fringes, um, the fringes of society, um, yeah. you know, another French figure that, uh, uh, that, that I corresponded with for years, uh, Charles Kraft. Um, and there was a quote, he said, uh, you know, I'm just more interested in the fringes of societies and the extremists because that's where culture is made. That's where the envelope is being pushed. And, you know, I think I think both of those guys, uh, you know, that they, they both have some very uh, questionable connections. Absolutely. But I do agree with them to the extent that, yeah, I mean, like that's that's where the Overton window is 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 being moved it's at the extremes uh and you you can't just focus on one side of the extremes because it's not like you know it's not a a four corners deal like the the political compass you know it's not nearly uh that simple uh uh but yeah you know i'm i'm interested in uh uh extremism of of all sorts and and the fringe and the underground because that's that's often like the it's 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 the vanguard and the avant-garde. That's where that's where culture and society are. You know, new ground is is uh, is being broken. That's yeah, the whole I mean, bit of, of cultural engineering, as you know, Genesis Peorage called himself a cultural engineer. Dude, that's literally what the CIA was doing with their anthropology majors. You know, they were working on cultural engineering. I mean, how much like stuff that Feral House published, like in the 90s is like completely relevant today like yeah 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 it. like like uh, and, and very very ahead of its time as well yeah absolutely 
Yeah, no, Parfrey reminds me of this lesser known guy named Eric Jan Hanneson, who was like, uh, he was like a Jewish publisher in Weimar, Germany, who like published a bunch of Nazi propaganda. And then he was probably doing blackmail for the Nazis. And then long story short, he got murdered, at, you know, as the Nazis rose to power. But like Adam Parfrey luckily didn't get murdered by the nazis but like he right. had a weirdly similar career in that he was a jewish guy publishing nazis yeah 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 just interesting uh, it, it like like lit- literal nazis in some cases mm-hmm. uh neo-nazis or whatever uh and and also uh you know one of the interesting ties there is that that undercurrent that ties the not just the occult but specifically Satanism with this Nazi fascist uh, trend, which is the same kind of thing you see. And, you know, I, I, I recommend everybody check out William Ramsey's book, Global Death Cult, mm. because nobody hears about, like, for years, for years, I'm like, why does nobody talk about Adam Waffen and the base and the Order of Nine Angles? Like, they want to talk about, like, uh, yo, hey, it's interesting that, like, the uh, the oath keepers and the proud boys which by the way like the kkk is probably more feds than uh than rubes at this point like literally mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like how, how many members of, of the, the kkk is still an organization but i guarantee you that like at least half of the members are informants and then the other half are agents that's pretty much like uh how it stands and and yes i i've thought the same about Order of Nine Angles and Adam Waffen and the base. And the fact that like the Proud Boys get all the get all the headlines and these guys doing these literal neo-Nazi Satanists are committing actual terrorism plots and actually murdering and killing people in terrorism plots. They're not they're, uh, you know, uh, disturbing the peace and trespassing, you know, uh, like I, I get that that's a really scary story for, for AOC and everybody else. Some of whom were not even in the building that day, you know, but, but yeah, I, I think the story of these literal neo-Nazi Satanists who are committing actual terrorism is more interesting and, and should be talked about more, but for whatever reason, uh, you know, that one of these cases, one of these guys, uh, you know, they knew uh, that he was uh, a child molester. Uh, like th- they basically tripped over that info. And it wasn't until they saw the the Nazi ties and then they get on him and then they add that to the rest of it. Uh, and yeah. that's one of the guys that was involved in one of these groups. So uh, but yeah, no, uh, I, as far as if there's any ties there, like, I don't know. Uh, I, I think I think. Like once again, maybe uh, maybe I'm just uh, you know uh, I'm just talking about the 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 parf that I knew. Uh, I I don't want to think that he was involved in some kind of like really deep dark stuff, but no, I I do feel that that he liked to be in the know. And sometimes uh, you know something I was reading about doing some reading on Hunter Thompson lately. Somebody say you know when you go underground in the sewer, you come up smelling like you know like crap so Mm -hmm. you know uh, like i i'm not definitely not saying he was like infiltrating these groups or whatever no i think it was just morbid curiosity more than anything 
<laughs> that, that, that drew that, that drove him to uh, get interested in some of these kind of weird off the wall. Like he knew that this is where culture is being made, uh, that this is what the cultural engineers are up to. Um, and like I said, especially since my late 20s, when I had that kind of, you know, uh, uh, awakening moment with, uh, you know, realizing that that so much of the culture that I was in, the, the counterculture was established by the establishment, basically. Yeah. Like, you know, to, to put it simply, it's like that was that was earth shaking for me. You know that uh, I, I'm I'm still reeling from that, you know, uh, 15 15 plus years later, I'm still reeling from that. Uh, but, you know, um, it's, it, it's, it's important to be aware, just like, you know, uh, the topic, the whole topic of this book and the whole theme, it's, it's important to be aware of things that it's uncomfortable to know. And, and that's why people want to deny MK ultra and, and, you know, uh, organized uh, pedophilia and things like this because and, and cultural psyops involving your favorite, uh, you know, artists or authors. Nobody wants to think about that, but it's important to be aware of it. At the same token, though, uh, something that I always try and recommend to people, if you read my book um, and if you're poor like me and can't afford my book, email me or, you know, go to my website and send, send me a message at the contact form and I'll, I'll send you a copy uh but take your time you know most of the chapters are pretty short um don't mm. be afraid to take breaks it's the same thing when i read uh program to kill the first time uh all the way through and i would sometimes have to take like anywhere from a few days to a week and a half to two to three weeks in between sections and sometimes i couldn't finish a section and had to take a few days and that's that's okay because, you know, uh, you don't do anybody good by sacrificing your own mental and physical health. Uh, so you know, there, is, there is kind of a, a, a mental balance that every, everybody's got to find for themselves. Um, you know, I, 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 think, I, I thank God for the fact that some people can like, yeah, I, I've, I've talked to people who work with, with uh, survivors of sexual assault daily. And some of them, some of them, even uh, children. And, you know, like I have such respect for them, but I could not do that because mm. just reading about this stuff, like, you know, um, it's one thing about writing about it once in a while. But uh, when I wrote this book, I spent months uh, just engaging with this material all day and all night. Have you ever heard of the Tetris effect, by the way? No, what's that? Okay. So, like, if you spend all day, playing tetris you will dream of tetris shapes right and yeah, definitely if you spend <laughs> all day reading foia documents then you will see redactions in your sleep yeah. like i was literally dreaming of foia documents and waking up with night terrors and i got to the point where i was having the worst panic attacks i'd had in like a decade and had to you know go back on nerve pills it was uh it was pretty rough uh and, you know, uh, you really do have to find a balance uh, between, like I said, your own physical and mental health, because you don't do anybody any favors by, you know, uh, breaking your mind and body. That's what they want. You know, demoralization and depression are great tools of the enemy. That's what they want. Don't do their job for them. Uh, stay positive. Take breaks. Uh, remember that, like, you know, 
Um, now, I'm personally a Christian, but I think uh, that this, the, the same viewpoint is, uh, uh, is, is, is kind of brought, brought about in, in Buddhism and Hinduism, the idea mm-hmm. that there is this world out there and it is suffering and you can do little things to help ease and ameliorate the suffering on a tiny level. But that's really insignificant. But go ahead and do that anyways, by the way. You know, like yeah. that's how I deal. That's how I deal with because it's big stuff. You know, when, you know, like uh, the, the term black pilled, you know, I, I, tr- I I'm always fighting to keep from becoming demoralized and black pilled and giving up hope. Uh, but yeah, that for me, the idea that, you know, like the, the parable of the starfish you know, the guy's on the beach and he's throwing the starfish back in the water because they're the they've been drawn out too far by the tide. And this guy says, hey, man, look down this beach. It goes on, you know, for infinity. It goes on for thousands of miles. There's no way you can save all of these starfish. What difference does this make? And then he tosses one in the water again. And he says it made a difference to that one, you know. So like, yeah, uh, like the, the, the best thing for like fighting the black pill for me is realizing that we can do little things that, you know, make little changes, you know, uh, and, and the, the, the reception of this book for me, for instance, has made, made all the, the, the hard times worthwhile. You know, I've had, I've had survivors of child abuse uh, contact me and, and tell me they appreciate me, uh, you know, covering this and, you know, like that's that's what it's about. It's about like uh, you know something that I, I I can't remember the exact quote, but Kurt Vonnegut said something along the lines of like you know I I don't I don't talk about these things because I think that by me writing about them I will change them. Uh, I do so so that other people who feel the same way will will feel less alone. I, I absolutely you know murdered that that paraphrase there, but the basic idea. I think is really is really good. The idea that, you know, just letting other people who do know, know that they're not alone and they're not crazy uh, can be wildly helpful. Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. And like, I would say over the past, I don't know, couple of years, I've also been sort of like reevaluating my like relationship with traumatizing myself with like yeah oh not yeah, necessarily yeah. All, not only just the pedophile stuff but just like the crimes of humanity right uh-huh. and yeah like, yeah i think that like to a certain degree it's healthy in a certain parameter kind of like eating spicy food that's like trauma but it's good and fun and you know yeah, yeah. it's the spice of life but like yeah, like there is a point at which it's diminishing returns, right? And I feel like that's one of the great values of your book is it's a survey. So normal people don't have to spend as much time as you did. They can get yeah. the fruits of your labor, which is right. a yeah, yeah. survey. And Bullet I, points. exactly. And I recommend the book on those merits for sure. I appreciate it. Yeah. So what are you working on now? I know you mentioned something. Maybe you don't want to announce it, but like. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be real coy. I'm going to be real coy and cute. Mm. I'm going to say it involves Dr. Uh, Lewis Jolly and West, Dr. Jolly. So that 
that completely helps no one who doesn't already know what I'm working on. <laughs> because I could be talking about JFK. I yeah. could be talking about Charles Manson. Maybe I'm talking about Jonestown, false memory syndrome, McVeigh, Scientology. I could go on all day just talking about <laughs> the things that Dr. West was involved in. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and, and cop to that. I've, uh, I recently got some files from the uh, UCLA's Library Special Collection which they've got boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff, but uh, I'm only able to get like a couple folders at a time. And uh, it's uh, UCLA staff gets first dibs and it took them a few weeks to get to me. And then I'm supposed to wait until uh, next month before I ask again, but Oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep di- digging into uh, uh, some of the West connections as relates to, uh, you know, the, my, my current research obsession, which hopefully the next book will be uh, based on. Which, dear listeners, I, I do know the general idea, <laughs> and it is, I am very excited for that to It's out. It's going to, like, where, uh, where Pedogate Primer went wide, this goes deep, right? Yeah. Like, and, and Pedogate Primer was actually, is actually, like, it's, it's like the Russian nesting dolls, um, is actually a chapter in another book that um, uh, uh, I've got a friend who's an academic who's done some editing, and uh, I'm waiting on them to get back to me. They had some uh, some things going on. You know, the last couple of years have been kind of rough on everybody, especially when you have other uh, things going on besides just just the dang coronavirus or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's 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 like. Uh, uh, as in as much as this you know pedogate primer goes wide the 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 follow-up piece is going to be very focused on uh on on a singular topic that yeah i think uh i think i think it's going to blow away the uh the 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 first book away just as far as you know like bringing something new to the scene because you know i'm actually i'm actually uh, engaging with a lot more uh first-hand sources on this one uh, you know, like I said, the, the library special collections, I've got some interviews lined up and some that I've done. Um, so yeah, yeah. The next book, the next book is going to be something else for sure. And again, without being too coy, cause I know that this is probably annoying for the listener, but like <laughs> when I found out about the, this topic, like I went and I was like, oh, I want a book on this. And, and there, there wasn't one. one. There, there wasn't isn't one. No one, they haven't written it. Yeah. So yeah. let's just say, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely going to get it for sure. That's well, like that's one of those things that it's like there should be a book. There should be mm-hmm. there should be books on this topic, but there isn't one yet. Yeah. So we'll definitely have to have you on for that when that comes. Oh, out. I can't wait. And, yeah. Uh, Lord knows, maybe some other topic too. We'll definitely have to have you back on for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, no. it's it's it's, yeah, been, it's been really great. Yeah, um, like I said, uh, you know, I I appreciate that we that we went on a lot of tangents too. Mm-hmm. Actually, that you let kind of let me go off on tangents because you know I, I'll be honest with with this book. Like my favorite interviews are the ones where it's only like forty percent we talk about what's mm-hmm. in the book, sixty percent uh, that leads to other topics because yeah. it is all this stuff is tied to so many other things. Yeah, I like going deep and I like going broad. Like I like right. both, so for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so where can people find your work? 
Uh, well, uh, you know, you can go to the website, Phil Fairbanks, P-H-I-L, uh, F-A-I-R-B-A-N-K-S, just spelled pretty much the way it sounds. Um, so philfairbanks.com, you can see there's an interviews section where you can see interviews I've done and interviews that were done, uh, you know, uh, with me. And, um, you know, like it, once again, in a lot of those, I cover a lot of the material from the book. And once again, a lot of uh, tangents that I wasn't able to fit into the book. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Kafka guy, as in, uh, as in the, the, the chick author. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I chose that as a screen name for my first email account in like freshman year of high school <laughs> in whatever, 1997. And like now, like that there's social media and like for real big brother is, is, is on my butt and trying to unperson me in digital form. And I'm like, why did I choose Kafka guy? <laughs> Cause I, you know, kind of like with the Gunderson sitting in the spot with the horns. And it's like, dude, you walked into that one. I cannot feel sorry for you. Cause you, I, I walked into that one, but yeah, I'm Kafka guy at Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not incredibly active on Twitter. I try to, uh, I, I'm more of a lurker there probably than anything. Uh, yeah, but, but you always yeah. have insightful comments. I oh, oh yeah, I it. try to. Yeah, like I, uh, as as I said, I'm definitely uh, a little older than you and uh, and some of the other folks. Which, by the way, like you were kind of like uh, an entryway because you know when I got deleted from Facebook, I you know I was connected to a bunch of folks who were uh, you know. Uh, McGowan readers and researchers, mm-hmm. folks who were authors and podcasters and radio hosts. And I was, I was tied into that community on Facebook and then they got rid of me on Facebook. So like, it was really like, that was a turning point when I, uh, uh, and, and by the way, one of the first, you know, I think we had just met online when, uh, when shortly after that you were interviewed on the Aquarian report uh, yeah, it was because you were yeah. talking about the thread where I discovered you. It was the thread that I discovered you in, where you're talking about Epstein and symbolism and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, I really greatly appreciate you. You've really been uh, like the the majority of my Twitter followers have occurred since the book was published in November of last year. Like yeah. the majority, over half of my Twitter followers uh, come from come from that span of time and. And I think part of it is is me getting, you know, finding other people who uh, are kind of aware of what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, uh, in some cases, like I said, I've, I, I've, I've been on this road for most of my life now. Uh, and so I do, uh, you know, often, maybe not even often, but yeah, yeah, sure, often. I often have something uh, to, to toss in that, Sometimes even folks mm-hmm. who, you know, other folks like us who, uh, you know, spend way too much time maybe uh, uh, obsessing over this, you know, these fringe niche topics. But, you know, like I said, I, I, I think it is. It's important because once in a while uh, we do. We, you know, by sharing our info, we run into new uh, connections and things. That's, you know, that's that's how information is advanced, you know? Yeah. And like, I feel like it's been cool to meet older like uh McGowan fans because like I feel like me and a, a like a 
clique of people on Twitter sort of all got into McGowan at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really necessarily know that like people have been like reading him since, you know, obviously when he was alive. And so it's cool to like bridge the gap and like talk to people who have been into it for much longer. So no, it's oh, been absolutely, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think I mentioned Camille Blindstrup to you. Um, you should really check her out. I'll, I'll send you uh, one of her, her interviews. Yeah. Uh, Cause uh, it's really interesting seeing the, the McGowan heads who like actually lived through the, the, the whole scene and like lived near, near or in Laurel Canyon in the late sixties mm. and said, you know, like, cause a lot of the folks that, that uh, in, in this little group, you know, that included a lot of people like that. And that's like their perspective on that, like is, is absolutely vital. I think absolutely yeah, vital. That would be fascinating. Definitely. All right, man. Hey, thanks for, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Do you have no, any thank you so much for having parting me. words you'd like to share? Um, you know, just to, uh, uh, just, just to underscore what I said earlier, like the importance of, you know, take a break. Like if, if you do want the book, like I said, if you can't afford it, drop me a line, Kafka guy at gmail.com, Kafka guy on Twitter. My DMs are open and philfairbanks.com. You can go to the contact section. Uh, but you know, so if, if you want a copy of the book, just ask for one and, but don't be afraid to take breaks and, and do remember that like, you know, demoralization and depression are, are part of the job that they want you to do. Like they don't, they don't want to do their job. Like if there's one thing I've, I've realized about spies in the 21st century, like, you know, spies used to have to leave the house, you know, they didn't used to be this put all your information in this box that's recording you 24 seven, you know? (laughs) So like, so I think sometimes spies get a little lazier than they used to be in the old days. And one of the jobs that, you know, that this dark Intel security state wants is for folks like us who are interested in, uh, you know, uncovering their abuses and atrocities. They want us to be depressed and demoralized. So don't do their job for them, you know? Uh, so yeah, like find ways to stay positive, uh, take breaks and, you know, uh, uh, make sure, make sure to like find that balance with you. That's something that only you can do, but Mm -hmm. find that balance, uh, between, you know, uh, share, finding the truth and sharing the truth and, and your own, you know, physical and mental well-being. Yeah. Beautifully put. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. He was sitting up there for more than an hour, way up there on the Texas Tower, shooting from the 27th floor. He didn't choke or slash or slip them, not our Charles Joseph Whitman, he won't be an architect no more. Got up that morning, calm and cool, he picked up his guns and walked to school. All the while he smiled so sweetly And it blew their minds completely They'd never seen an Eagle Scout so cruel Now what you think of the shame and degradation For the school's administration Who put on such a bold and brassy show The Chancellor cried, it's adolescent And of course it's most unpleasant But I gotta admit, it was a lovely way to go There was a rumor about a tumor 
nestled at the base of his brain. He was sitting up there with his 36 Magnum, laughing wildly as he fagged him. Who are we to say the boy's insane? Charlie was awful disappointed Elsie thought he was anointed To do a deed so low down and so mean The students looked up from their classes Had to stop and rub their glasses Who'd believe he'd once been a Marine How Charlie made the honor roll with ease Most all of his grades was A's and B's Real rip, snorting, trigger, and squeezer Charlie proved a big crowd pleaser, though he had been known to make a couple of C's. Some were dying, some were weeping, some were studying, some were sleeping, some were shouting, Texas number one. Some were running, some were falling, some were screaming, some were bawling, some thought the revolution had begun. The doctors tore his poor brain down. But not a snitch of illness could be found Most folks couldn't figure just why he did it And then the good would not admit it There's still a lot of Google Scouts around There was a rumor about a tumor Nestled at the base of his brain He was sitting up there with his 36 Magnum Laughing wild as he bagged him who are we to say the boys in? Who are we to say the boys in? Who are we to say the boys in saying? 